Oh, Agent Starling, you think you can dissect me with this blunt little tool? No. I, I thought that your knowledge... You're so ambitious, aren't you? Do you know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rube. A well-scrubbed, hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor wire trash, are you, Agent Starling? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia. What is your father to you? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the land? You know how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the backseats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the end. See a lot, Doctor. When are you strong enough to point that high-powered perception at yourself? What about it? Why don't you why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see? Maybe you're afraid to. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Suck like that one, you cheap dime store. And welcome to a very special edition of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 212, The Silence of the Lambs Revisited. Just couldn't live any longer with that first attempt at Silence of the Lambs being us on the record for, you know, probably collectively one of our favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I think we've said it before, we had to get to some of our favorite stuff at the beginning. We couldn't just wait till we got better. So in order to make sure we kept wanting to do the show, we crossed off some big ones. We did this one, and we haven't been able to live with ourselves no, since. No, really. And I can just remember, I can like hear it now in my head, like you just always being like, well, we got to do the ones that we want to do, which certainly made sense, but just... You know, this this overhanging idea that the show wasn't going to keep going, so let's just do the ones that we want to do. And you know, here we sit five years later. Well, yeah, I don't think there was any thought in my head of us doing this in five years. It's impossible. <laughs> the, the, the thought is impossible. So this is our first ever revisited episode, and we'll circle back to that in a minute. I think we're both pretty thrilled, even before we get into the episode, that we're redoing this. Yeah, I think it was the right decision. We'll expand on that in a minute. So, before we talk about The Silence of the Lambs, and before we talk about what a revisited episode is going to mean for you, the listener... (laughs) There's rules. (laughs) Yeah, only certain people are allowed to listen. That's right. No. 
let's just run through everything real fast. This is probably going to be considerably longer than the first time we talked about the Silence Warning. of the Lambs. <laughs> Follow the show on Twitter at Creative Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. We're still taking requests for stickers on Twitter, so let us know if you'd like a free sticker mailed to you for free with a message from Matt. That's right. Handwritten. And also, if you have a listener request, you can let us know via, via or via, via, via Twitter as well. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say the latter. There are probably a couple of people right now who are like, "Well, we did have a listener request. You took it. You said you would do it. Now you're redoing episodes that you've already done." That's just the way this thing goes. <laughs> yes, we have a couple of listener requests that we're going to get to soon. It's very. I mean, we're very compulsive. And also, before we forget, follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. I would say Letterboxd has just kind of changed the dynamic of the show and our lives, really. Oh, for sure. And it's also changed the dynamic of how I feel about our listeners. (laughs) People, (laughs) what are you saving these stars for? (laughs) I'm seeing five-star movie after five-star movie go by with less than five stars. (laughs) I'm just thinking, well... If this is not a five-star movie, then what is? I'd love to know. Yeah, it was... Um, Matt, I'm not even talking about you, so don't even worry. It was There are some other up. ones where I'm just like, what the fuck? Uh, the, the name is escaping me at the time, but I, it was one of my recommendations, and I'm sure I didn't give the name of it when I did the recommendation, but oh, yeah. uh, the Netflix Charlie Kaufman movie. like, Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Keith fucking wrote a review about it being like pretentious bullshit, and then he went back and changed his review... <laughs> And I mean, he still didn't add any stars, I don't think, but I don't know. He was just like, well, I still don't think this movie's good, but, you know, I'm still thinking about it, so there's some <laughs> things here. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Like, what a move going back and changing your review. I will admit that I have gone back and altered some star oh, yeah, ratings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> Me too. I, so, Mostly yeah, you talked lowering up. <laughs> my star ratings, but a few I bumped up. Yeah, you, you talked me up for Artie Lang's Beer League. You brought me up a half star. <laughs> yeah, I just mostly felt bad for Artie. Yeah, I didn't I like know. to see that That's out that. there. I get it, yeah. <laughs> I am a fan of his. So. I'm very generous with the stars, but I think it's also because I try to not watch things that I know I'm not going to like, and if I didn't like it the first time, I'm probably not going to rewatch it. I also do this thing where I like grade things on a scale, and I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. If it's a director that I like. Which I'm sure I, I people know. are finding this real fascinating that I we're was, spending I, this much time on it. It's not going to get any better the rest of the way. So, <laughs> Okay, so our first revisited episode, we decided in 2021 that we are going to pick four movies for early movies. And movies only, we're not going to do anything with TV. That we did in Don't the... Don't get nervous. I'm not going to give away the exact number, but the first handful of episodes, the first year or so of the podcast, we've already picked them, so don't request anything. And they're going to be spread out through the year, and there's only four. And if it doesn't really feel right, if we think it's a bad idea or whatever, maybe we won't do this anymore. But we have four in mind right now that we're going to redo this year. So far, I'm very happy with it. (laughs) Spread out throughout the calendar year. Mine, the ones that I picked, I know people will want to hear. The ones Matt picked, ridiculous. <laughs> no, why anyone would want to hear those, I don't know. <laughs> Belle du jour. I was really disappointed with our performance yeah. on that episode. 
No, I'm kidding. I like the ones that, that Matt picked too, although they are probably slightly more obscure. Which is always kind of the case. <laughs> but yeah, so this is our first one. Of course, Silence of the Lambs is one we have to redo. Our first attempt at this was one of the initial five episodes we posted on January 21st, 2016. It was only 45 minutes long. We did not re-listen to it to do this episode, so we are probably going to repeat jokes, maybe? Although I can't imagine we'll Which repeat much. Which is kind of like every episode, anyway. <laughs> I can't imagine we're going to repeat much, though, because we just do things so differently. Now, we didn't have notes or anything. We just talked about how big Buffalo Bill's basement is, which I'm sure we'll talk about again. I remember us being obsessed with that in the time leading up to it, and I've never kind of let that go since then. I think that really was something that I had never really even spent a second thinking about until... It's a completely insane basement. Absolutely. There's so many rooms. There's things down there, too. You're like, why would they bring this much stuff down here? There's, like, refrigerators, a whole bathroom, like a... a a finished bathroom. Well, it's out like of he nowhere. doesn't even live in the house part of it ever. He's moved down yeah. into the basement. I guess we can talk about that when we get to the basement. Because, <laughs> you know, they do spend several minutes of the runtime there. <laughs> so here we go. Other than that, everything else is going to be the same as a regular episode. We just took this as an opportunity to approach a movie that we both love a lot in the way that we approach them now rather than the way we did five years ago, which was. Not much of an approach. I would say this Criterion Blu-ray is one of my prized possessions of the Blu-ray collection. I just wish that Criterion would be the ones to do the inevitable 4K Ultra HD release of this, which is probably going to happen, and yet it probably won't be Criterion that does it, because they have yet to do one. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, but it is. It's a really nice package with a lot of cool features. It looks really great. I... Love this movie. I know I probably throw out stuff like this all the time, but without question, a top 10 movie for me. Top 10 for sure. Yeah. By now, five years into this podcast, there's probably 83 movies that I've said are in my top 10. (laughs) But this one definitely is. Yeah, I would agree. It was released in 1991. It was directed by Jonathan Demme, written by Ted Talley adapted from Thomas Harris's 1988 novel. This was the second adaptation of Thomas Harris's work. The novel is from 88? Yes. And this was already the second adaptation? Oh, well, I guess because Red Dragon was a novel first, right? Yes. Red Dragon was the first novel, which was adapted into the 1986 Michael Mann film Manhunter, starring William Peterson, Brian Cox, etc. Cox plays Hannibal Lecter, who is barely in it and is not really the focal point of it. Tom Noonan plays the serial killer in that, who would later be played by Ray Fiennes in Red Dragon, which came out in 2002. Yeah, Hannibal Lecter heavily featured in that one. More so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by that point, he was the attraction. It was the year after Hannibal, which was the sequel to The Silence of the Lambs. We'll talk about those movies in a second. This is the 30th anniversary And that sort of sparked my interest in going back to the material. So I created a new theme song, which you heard at the beginning, which is sort of a remix of our regular one. And I was like, let's turn this into a thing. (laughs) Let's redo some of our shitty episodes. (laughs) We're still going to be doing normal episodes. We still have tons of new topics. Don't worry. People are just like, here they go again, trying something. Yeah, well, (laughs) sometimes you got to shake it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
The film premiered January 30th, 1991, and then opened wide on Valentine's Day of 1991. It had a $19 million budget, and it grossed 272.7 at the box office. Fun uh, Valentine's Day outing, just that dynamite sexual chemistry between Clarice and Hannibal Lecter. I'm pretty sure Hannibal opened on Valentine's Day as well in 2001. It became a thing. And that is pretty much about the sexual chemistry between the two, and that movie is a joke, and we'll talk about it later. It was the third film to win Academy Awards in all top five categories. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins, Best Actress for Jodie Foster, her second in only three years, I think, or maybe four, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Quite a showing at the Oscars for this one. So this was the third time it happened. The first was in 1934 for the Frank Capra film. It happened one night. And then in 1975 for Milos Forman's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I don't think it's happened since. So that's weird because when I was a kid and I watched the Oscars a lot, it seemed like one movie would sweep a lot of the awards. But I can't really think of one that would have hit all of these that's true yeah because titanic i don't even think dicaprio got nominated for best actor famously yeah and it always seems like the acting award there could be a wild card in there yeah we trash the best picture winners a lot and just sort of the oscars in general but this is one when you look year over year you're like oh yeah this was the year that a super cool movie won yeah certainly one that has lived on and is still like we said one of our favorite movies of all time and it's a rare movie that was released at the beginning of a year so it actually won all of those awards like a year after it came out yeah i know that's nuts it did not get released in times for reward award season of like the previous year this was like it came out in february and then won the next year which has to be a pretty rare occurrence yeah i, I mean it's oh it always seems like something i don't think know, there was as much emphasis like, on the oscar season in those days and prior but yeah even Probably by 1991, that was a little strange. But like, if you go back into like the 60s and 70s, I don't think they were really oh, angling yeah. everything in right. a certain way like that. But yeah, nowadays, I can't really even imagine that but happening. Even still, even when it wasn't specifically marketed a certain way, you would still think that what's more fresh in people's minds probably has a better chance of winning. Yeah. The other notable thing about it winning Best Picture is that it's considered to be the only horror film that won Best Picture. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit before we actually get into all of the other specifics and stuff. Do you consider The Silence of the Lambs a horror movie? Eh, I, I don't know. Crime thriller? <laughs> it's sort of a special subgenre. I do think that the Hannibal Lecter character is horrifying. It's sort of the same genre as like Seven or something. It's like that serial killer genre. Yeah. It's... More artistic than most. I mean, I don't think you would really compare it to a lot of the Alex Cross movies or, or things like that. You know, like but the, there are... the Long Kiss Goodnight or Bone Collector or whatever all those other movies are. It's it's like a little bit more polished than that, but it's sort of the same idea. Well, there's definitely parts of it that feel very much like a police procedural. Yeah, and you mix that in with suspense and horror. And but all Hannibal Lecter has that larger-than-life monster villain quality to him a little bit yeah although i do think that this was the first time really that they had done a portrayal of a psychopath a psychopathic killer like this yeah that had sort of 
a suaveness and wasn't just this faceless maniac like a right. Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers or something, which the is really like the precursor. I mean, yeah. Norman Bates maybe as well, but this is like a whole new category, and it's probably a, much more true to life than a lot of those like horror movies. That's right. Like I think it's. I mean, he's such an intellectual, but he can't like relate with society. Yeah, which is, I think, what a lot of serial killers are actually like. There's a lot of them that are like very highly intelligent, yeah, yeah. and they're just like weird. <laughs> okay, so let's talk really fast about the sequels and prequels and all that stuff, because we are rapidly approaching, by the time this episode drops, a new iteration, which we'll get to in a minute. So Hannibal came out in 2001. It was directed by Ridley Scott. Julianne Moore plays Clarice Starling because Jodie Foster did not want to do it because she had young kids and thought it was too violent or scary or whatever. Yeah. So she, she backs just... out of it, which right away, that sort of fucks everything up. Take a star off your Letterboxd review just before you've even seen it. Well, I think when I was in high school and the movie came out, it was one of those things where the line of delineation happened and so, to me, it did feel like Silence of the Lambs was a long time ago because yeah, I had so- gotten old enough to see movies <laughs> in between. But in reality, that would be like if they made a sequel to something that came out 10 years ago, like Inception or something. And then they're like, okay, well, Leonardo DiCaprio is not in it or whatever, and you're just supposed to accept that. It's like, I don't know, to most people, I think 10 years is not long enough to really just reboot everything. And just throwing in a different person is already a mistake. The story is ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, that's something a Julianne Moore character says. And I like the Gary Oldman stuff. It's weird. There's some weirdness to it. The violence is sort of fun and out of nowhere. But the ending is just embarrassing. <laughs> Absolutely nuts, yeah. <laughs> but pretty sure that is how the book ends. I don't think they just made that up for the movie. Yeah. But like, yeah. It is weird. Swing and a miss on it that idea. It does make it seem like, it, I mean, the Clarice character is just like a different person by that point. But right away, they sort of correct everything and do a prequel the very next year, which, which is got good reviews, a right? different version of Manhunter called Red Dragon, which is the name of the book. And that movie is pretty good. Yeah, Edward Norton's in it. Ed Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ray Fiennes. Mary Louise Parker. Who does she play? I, she's Edward Norton's wife. Okay, yeah. Manhunter is cool, but Red Dragon is also cool. Yeah. In in a different way. It doesn't really quite have the same style as a Michael Mann movie, but Red Dragon it, it had probably has better acting overall and the portrayal of the serial killer is a little creepier and weirder, I think. So Red Dragon sort of works. Then a movie came out called Hannibal Rising in 2007, which oh, I've boy. never seen. Yeah. And it actually made some money. But I don't remember the reviews being particularly good. And that is also a prequel. That's the first time where Hannibal... That's a a young Hannibal, right? Yeah, starts his career, his descent (laughs) into being a serial killer. Because both Red Dragon and The Silence of the Lambs take place with him already arrested. And he's not really like the focal point. There's like another serial killer. Then there was a TV show that ran from 2013 to 2015 called Hannibal. 39 episodes... People seem to love it. It has a super high score on IMDb. I don't know why it was canceled so quickly. Maybe a lot of people didn't watch it, though. I don't know. I always thought it was weird. Like, within the same era like this and that Bates Motel, yeah, both were pretty popular. Yeah, this did not last very long, and I have to say I've never seen a single episode of it because 
I don't know. The the idea of doing this stuff on network television just never really appealed to me. So you're not going for Clarice? Which brings us to Clarice, which will be debuting on February 11th to coincide with basically the 30th anniversary. Before you trash it, I have to say that there's definitely, like, some of the TV spots they did for it, like, look pretty cool, even though there's no way it could be good. It does not seem like it will have Hannibal Lecter in it, because I'm assuming he is on the run in it, because I was shocked to find it is not a retelling of The Silence of the Lambs. It takes place a year after. Okay. Even though the commercials clearly make it seem like it's about Buffalo Bill. Right, right. And there is a credited character, Buffalo Bill, I'm assuming in is her dreams Is it just going to be like or flashbacks something? or something? Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I'm sort of wondering if that means this is just a procedural, like this an FBI show with her as the lead. News to me, by the way. Yeah. Oh, so it's going to be like a Monster of the Week type thing? No, I'm I'm sure it'll take place over like one yeah. long case per season okay, or something. Because yeah, yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of episodes. I don't know. But it's CBS, so my... My hopes are not high. I probably won't watch it. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So that takes us up to date. Sir Anthony Hopkins, I think a little too old to be reprising the role at this point. Probably. It seems like yeah. it's mostly over. It would be cool, though, if they could get Jodie Foster on board. Maybe they could still do something. I don't know, but it seems that like would that window is closed. I think so. <laughs> I think Hannibal slammed that window shut. That's right. I'm talking about the 2001 movie. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lambs. Yes. And you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs. I don't know. I don't know. Thank you, Clary. Thank you. Originally, Gene Hackman owned the rights to make a film out of this. He sort of co-owned it, I think, with Orion. And he was, I guess, going to play Jack Crawford, which is what I've seen recently now in the in some write-ups and stuff. I think I had always heard that he was maybe going to play Hannibal Lecter. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought I had heard that before, but I might have heard that from you. I don't remember. But yeah, that seemed like that was what the story was a few years ago. Now in the stuff I've been reading, it seems like he was going to play Jack Crawford, which makes more sense, except for the fact that Crawford is not in it all that much. I was going to say it kind of makes the cast a little bit more star-studded if he's all of a sudden like the third lead. Yeah, I could see it being different. I could see it being a whole different movie, and I could see him being the hero, maybe, although he was going to direct it. Which was also the big thing. Okay. Hackman withdrew while Tally was in the middle of adapting the novel, but Orion co founder Mike Metavoy encouraged Tally to keep going, even though financing had just fallen through with Hackman's departure. They managed to scrape the money together. They get Jonathan Demi to sign on after he reads the novel. He meets with Tally. No big revisions on the script. He likes what Tally's doing. And that's something that Tally remarks on in his remembrance of this time period and getting this movie made, the speed with which this all started to accelerate. Like once they brought Demi in, it was just like all things are go. They were filming within a few months, which I think is a lesson possibly for Hollywood. Sometimes the people you hire to do these things know what they're doing and you don't need to like 
do a million workshop re- it, rewrites, rewrite it, studio notes, bring in people. It's like, all right, we found a guy to direct it. We found a guy to write it. We have faith in these people. We're paying them to do it. Let's just let them do it. Because I like Demi's work pre Silence of the Lambs, and I like yeah. some of it post. I don't think anybody could have seen this coming as him uh, being the right guy for this. I would this. agree. I mean, it certainly sticks out in his filmography as being like head and shoulders above everything else. Yeah, I think that there's always been stories of this really being just a studio job, taking a paycheck, not really a passion project for him. I think he, like it says, I mean, he read the book and decided to do it. I think he probably liked the book. But yeah, when you compare it to the other stuff he was making before and after, it doesn't really seem like this was his thing. And yet there's something so effective about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know why. That's the thing, like Michael Mann... I'm sure when most people think of like action and suspense and all this different stuff, people would put Michael Mann head and shoulders above Jonathan Demme. <laughs> and yet Michael Mann's interpretation of, of similar material, not the same book, yeah, yeah, is so different this and feels, not scary, really. That's the thing. If you want to say it's like a studio job, but it feels like so detailed. Yeah. Like it seems so particular. Jodie Foster wanted the part of Clarice. She was sort of campaigning for it. But Demi wanted Michelle Pfeiffer, who he had just worked with in Married to the Mob, but she turned it down because she felt it was too violent and dark of material. Fair. It's interesting to imagine what that version of this movie would have been like with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Would Miggs have said the same thing? I think it would have been worse. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) I just recently watched The Witches of Eastwick, which stars her and Cher and Susan Sarandon. Yeah, I mean, this was and, a golden age of Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I, would I don't say. know if there's ever been a, a human <laughs> photographed that looks better than Michelle Pfeiffer in 1987 or I, it's hard to whatever that was. That, yeah, yeah, and we're talking fabulous Baker Boys. That's era. right. Yeah, Oof. <laughs> she was just knocking. Them would out of the she park. have been too pretty for the part? I, I kind of think that. Yeah, it would have been harder to buy her as a rube, as yeah. Lecter puts it later. You know, someone. <laughs> sort of trying to shrug off their background as poor white trash in West Virginia. Yeah, you don't see Michelle Pfeiffer as being someone not from town, as uh, yeah. Clarice describes someone. Well, here's the thing. I think Michelle Pfeiffer is a great actress. I think she's sort of underrated. I don't know that, aside from maybe Catwoman, if she ever, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say, if she ever really like had that big, important, like what's her defining role? No, I mean, it is Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like something was missing from her career, maybe, which is, you know, ridiculous because she's had a 40 year career in a business where most people fail immediately and don't have anything. She's hugely successful. Absolutely. But this may have been her big chance to do something, to have that big part. Now, would the movie be as good? I don't know. It's really hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. The studio wanted Meg Ryan, but she also turned it down. It seems like Demi was trying to cast anybody else because then he wanted Laura Dern to do it. And she was considered, but ultimately the part went to Foster because of her passion for the project and for the character. I could picture Laura Dern. I I still like Jodie Foster more for this role. Now, we're talking, by the time they were like filming this thing, it doesn't seem like it was that many years after Smooth Talk or Blue Velvet. I think she would have looked like a baby. I mean, probably, yeah. Although, how many years before Jurassic Park is this? A couple. Yeah, not not that many, though. Yeah, that's though. true. All right. All right, all right. 
it's just hard for me to picture I get it. different people in parts. Yeah, I know. I think Jodie Foster's the right call here. She's dynamite in this role. She had just won the Academy Award for Best Actress in 1988 for The Accused, which was sort of a turning point for her because she had previously struggled to find her career as an adult. Because obviously we know from Taxi Driver and a few other things, the little girl who lives down the lane. Sitting on my... She had a career as a child actor and was a child star and actually was like a child model or something from the age of like three. Wow. But as an adult post Yale, things were sort of harder to come by and and things weren't working out. And then all of a sudden she just wins an Oscar for The Accused. And then here she is only three years later, basically in another Oscar winning performance. (laughs) I think there are two actresses that I can think of right off the top of my head that won two Best Actress Awards in the span of a couple of years who then were sort of like very marginalized by Hollywood. Jodie Foster, the first, and Hilary Swank, the second, who I think got treated even worse than Jodie Foster. And she almost has to be like the ninth lead in a Soderbergh movie now. It's like her (laughs) lot. It's like she won two Best Actress Awards in like five years or whatever it was. It does it's seem crazy. Like Jodie Foster was kind of weirdly cast aside after uh, she had like a bigger career, I think, post second Oscar than Hillary Swank. Well, yeah, that's true. But yeah, neither of them. I don't know if it's like a looks thing, which again is like kind of disgusting to even think about. But I don't know. I know it always like upset me when they did that bit on The Office. Where they, remember this? Where they like. Mm talked about whether or not Hillary Swank was attractive and they like pulled the room and it was like this whole thing. And I'm like, could you imagine them doing that now? <laughs> no, I cannot. I mean, they shouldn't have done it about any woman, but I, I just remember being like kind of disgusted. I was like, this one, she won two best actress awards. Yeah, really? Like, you should treat her with respect. <laughs> and me like the fucking nerd who watches the Oscars, <laughs> like worried about that. Like going off about, you know, how Hillary Swank is like, not attractive. Meanwhile, I'd like cut off both my arms to like go to Arby's with her once. <laughs> Arby's. <laughs> Maybe because like the parts that she won the Oscars for, Hillary Swank, were sort of. What was the other? Boys Don't Cry, Million, Million Dollar, Dollar Baby. Baby. Yeah. So Ooh. you have, there's like the a whole masculinity thing going on with both parts. That's right. And that's maybe like, I know that she has talked about like post Boys Don't Cry, it was sort of hard. I could see that being hard to recover from. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, Jodie Foster, it's even sort of more baffling. And then you remember she was in Nell. <laughs> I don't remember that. What is Nell? Well, okay. it's not great. All right. <laughs> Sean Connery turned down the part of Hannibal Lecter, thank God, because that would have been <laughs> terrible. Wow. It was then offered to Anthony Hopkins because Jonathan Demme enjoyed his performance in The Elephant Man. Which is strange because that came out a decade before this movie. So Hopkins is another one, obviously, who this movie made a star and he was already in his like mid-50s. Yeah. Even though he had been around forever, I think since the 60s, he pops in and out of things. But he never really like landed the definitive part and then all of a sudden... I mean, The Elephant Man had some Oscar attention, right? Yeah, but, I mean, it wasn't a star-making yeah, thing yeah, for him sure. or anything like that. 
Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, Derek Jacoby, and Daniel Day-Lewis were also considered. I like how Derek Jacoby is just thrown in there. Like, he belongs in that list with those other people. I, I don't even know if I know who Derek Jacoby is. You would recognize his face. Okay. But okay. He's, not, he's not a big star. Daniel Day-Lewis, I think, would have been way too young, in my opinion. Dustin Hoffman would have been not that right. Just bizarre. Not right. Pacino, I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a great ass. <laughs> yeah, would, would he have gone big with it? Yeah. <laughs> De Niro, I think, actually would have been good and played a serial killer character in Cape Fear, I think, the same year oh, or the year De Niro before. can definitely be scary. Yeah, but he would have brought like a whole different energy. I don't know if he would have been able to be as charming. Yeah. <laughs> you talking to me? Hopkins based the voice and the cadence on HAL 9000 as voiced by Douglas Rain in 2001 A Space Odyssey, and also Catherine Hepburn and Truman Capote. Wow. I definitely got Truman Capote. The Catherine Hepburn thing threw me for a loop, but I kind of <laughs> yeah. get it. <laughs> the well, Truman the, Capote thing I've always sort of thought. The 2001 Space Odyssey thing, because I was reading that too, and I was like, yeah, I guess it's like cold intellect with no emotion. Yeah. At one point, Hackman was still going to play Jack Crawford, but then decided it was also too violent. Scott Glenn was then cast. I think Glenn went a little overboard considering he's a semi minor character. I know he like listened to some FBI tape yeah. of two serial killers like raping and torturing some teenage girl or something and he was like so fucked up from it. And I'm like, dude, you're not even in the movie that much. You Did only you get need to, to go that far with it? A performance like this so many times in your career, you gotta you <laughs> That know. was like whenever Aaron e- Eckhart it. was on Stern and he was like for rabbit hole he went to like support groups for parents that like lost children like real ones yeah i thought you were gonna be like for that (laughs) he let his kid die for to get ready for rabbit hole i was just like dude don't you think that's like invading on people i know that real exploitative for some movie that 17 people saw including us by the way we did go see that in the theater wasn't that miles teller wasn't he the one that hit the kid I think it was oh, I don't know. Time. I didn't. I, I I wouldn't have known who he was at the time. I so. didn't know who he was at the time, but I'm pretty sure it was him. Sandra O oh also in that movie. Okay. Yeah. The Silence of the Lambs was filmed in Pittsburgh. I have to say, probably the best movie filmed in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it all looks like it. Every part, of, like when they're at the prison, it looks like Pittsburgh. When they're in Chicago, it looks like Pittsburgh. You mean the place where he's in the cell? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to the, the one by himself. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about that. That's Soldiers and Sailors. Yeah. Plus West Virginia, and there were even some scenes shot at Quantico in a rare act of cooperation from the FBI. The FBI, at the time, really didn't work with Hollywood on movies. However, they liked this because they thought it would be a recruiting tool for female agents. Well, there is sort of a a mindhunter feel to it because they do kind of focus on the whole behavioral science piece of it. There's a few ham-handed things where they clumsily jam in like stuff that you learn about serial killers and how to do different things like the whole thing where they're like standing around watching senator martin do the plea on tv and she keeps saying Catherine's name and then they have to make it a That's point smart. To be, yeah they're only doing that for the audience's benefit right, right. why would they stand around and say that to each other they should all know that <laughs> yeah yeah but at the time in 1991, there wasn't a million true crime podcasts. People weren't <laughs> as much of experts on this stuff. Right. So this was for the audience. They And there's a couple other times, too, I think, they lead you down the path of some obvious stuff where the 
FBI trainees are all saying things that they probably wouldn't just say to each other all the time. <laughs> yeah, it is wild. Lecter points it out, but it is just such a crazy plot element that they're sending a student to do this stuff. Well, that's a whole big talking point we'll get to because I think it's interesting like the comment they're making on women and female sexuality and being an attractive woman or just being a woman in a man's workplace. A traditional man's work. I don't want to imply what I... <laughs> The implication yeah, yeah. of what I was right. saying there was that it should be... No, I just mean like a traditionally male environment. They definitely frame a lot of shots a certain Absolutely. way. They, they set up things. But it's almost as if it's sort of a counterbalance against, I think, a lot of maybe more modern thought, which is that men and women should be equal in every single respect. And so certain things should be taken out of the equation altogether, like... A female FBI agent should not be treated any differently than a male FBI agent. And so whether or not she is attractive overall or attractive to someone in the mix, whether it's a case or whatever, shouldn't matter. But I think that in, in a way, even though this movie is like a very feminist movie, I almost feel like there's a messaging there of like, why would you take that out of the equation? It'd be like if you had a really strong man and you were like, yeah, but not all of the women FBI agents are as strong as this guy, so he shouldn't use this strength because yeah. it's separating him from them. So it's like, is her sexuality, the fact that Lecter might find her attractive, should that be a part of it or not? Should Jack Crawford take advantage of that or not? Should she take advantage of that right, or right. not? You know what I mean? And I I think it's something that it is sort of under the surface in the movie the whole time. One thing that I really can't tell, but it feels... I- like, is there supposed to be a sexual tension between her and Jack Crawford? Because I kind of feel like there is at times. Sometimes, I think mostly from his end, because you could say that she's a lesbian. I know that Jodie Foster is in real life, so people yeah. sort of project that onto the character. But her relationship with Ardelia is sort of up for debate. I think even before Jodie Foster was like officially out, people thought that this character right, right. was a lesbian. And so they, they sort of blame her. Jodie Foster, I mean, for some of the controversies, which we'll get to, which okay. I'm not going to like really harp on it a lot, although it, you know, it's the same vein as Dress to Kill or Basic Instinct, and, you know, the whole thing of limited portrayals of certain types of people. But is there, I mean, not really. I mean, it's okay. not like that yeah. much. Yeah. I think for a 1991 movie, this, it was pretty progressive when it came to a lot of that stuff. Like I think the, so. The gender dynamics and also the Even- way it handles the truth about Buffalo Bill, which is why it's baffling to me that there even is a controversy, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely think like the Clarice character being like so strong, and I do think part of why there is this connection between her and Hannibal is they weirdly both have this feeling of isolation, and we see it more with her in these scenes where she's like getting in an elevator and it's like yeah. 10 dudes in her, which is a thing that they continue to repeat throughout the movie, those types of shots. Yeah, I will say that this most recent rewatch of this movie i started to pick up on just how relentless it must be to be a woman in these circumstances because you can't ever have a second to just not be the object of someone's interest even if it's not lecherous like a migs i know even if it's completely funny and innocent like the cross-eyed guy that we'll get to later <laughs> it just never ends it just will i know not it end. does seem like it would just be hard it's just like non-stop 
Hannibal Lecter's screen time in the movie is only 24 minutes and 52 seconds, which is the second shortest ever for a Best Actor winner. Wow. The shortest was David Niven in Separate Tables in 1958, a movie I've say, never even heard of. It feels like more. He only has four scenes with Clarice, too, which is also weird. Yeah. A lot of the inspiration for this idea of a, an imprisoned serial killer helping with the investigation of a current serial killer comes from Ted Bundy supposedly assisting with the investigation for the Green River Killer, who at that point was not caught. And Although, Ted Bundy is definitely an influence on the Buffalo Bill character, too. Oh, right? we'll get to that in a minute, yeah. There's a whole <laughs> list of people okay. that yeah. mix into that. But yeah, that's where that comes from. Although Bundy never really helped them, and it was completely self-serving, and he just tried to buy himself time. He never really helped with discovering who the Green River Killer was. I mean, how would he? I mean, the, <laughs> in even in this movie there is a connection that is sort of convenient and it's the only thing that really makes it work though. Right. Right. Because otherwise how, like it's insane. It's a needle in a haystack. Yeah. Yeah. How would you know who the person is? Buffalo Bill played by Ted Levine in one of the just all time performances, in my opinion, you (laughs) want to talk about limited screen time and memorable characters, which I know is something we talked about the first time. Oh, sure. Just how short of a time he's in the movie. And yet just, how often are you still like thinking of his performance? The, st- that the way he talks. <laughs> goodbye horses scene is <laughs> just one of the great things that's ever happened. Well, you we often talk about things that just sort of happen by accident and how it all comes together for something great, and how this movie sort of sticks out like a sore thumb in Jonathan Demme's filmography. The late great Jonathan Demme, by the way, we said that last week with John Singleton. This is another. Yeah. Semi-recently deceased director. No longer with us. Goodbye Horses was a song he used in Married to the Mob. So it's not even just like... Yeah, he was like, this song is so good. He just is like, what's a good song for this scene? And it just this one is out of nowhere. And you're just like, this is unbelievable how perfect this is. And it it isn't like, (laughs) you know, he discovered it for this movie. And it's it all works because barely anyone remembers Married to the Mob. And yet... The Silence of the Lambs goes on to be this all-time classic. It's like if we were filmmakers, like two movies in a row. What song should we use? Oh, Alone by Heart. <laughs> Every movie. <Yeah. laughs> the controversy is similar to that of Dress to Kill and Basic Instinct to a certain extent when people were freaking out about the murderer being a lesbian or Dress to Kill. It's a transvestite or, or whatever the character is supposed to be. In this... It does stand out that Buffalo Bill is a potential transsexual or transgendered person. However, and I can't stress this enough, this is 1991. They definitely did not need to say this, but they do. (laughs) They go out of their way several times, including a psychopathic murderer, Hannibal Lecter, to say he's not really transsexual, but he just thinks he is. He's just crazy, basically, is the answer. He's not a real transgender person, which I think for that time period, it treats the idea of being transgender with a level of respect that was definitely not like a requirement for a movie. Sure. It doesn't even for a minute question the validity of the idea, which again, in 1991, would have been kind of sketchy. No, it is very matter of fact. And it also has Clarice answer, you know, whenever she's sort of becoming tuned into the idea, she says, well, we know that transsexuals are nonviolent people. 
basically flying in the face of the idea. And I, I just, I don't think it was necessarily because of any level of pushback because in that time period, I think without Twitter and the internet and everything, it would have been relatively small. There wouldn't have been a huge uproar about it anywhere. And I don't know why people would be thinking that it's it's super controversial. I, I don't really hear a lot of people talk about this movie as if it's controversial now. Sure, sure. But yeah, it's a touchy subject. I, I have a hard time believing that they would be able to do this movie exactly the same now, sort of the same way we talked about those other kind of like controversies. What we talk about on every episode about any movie, essentially, yeah. But this is like a very specific yeah, yeah. controversy, right? And I get it, but you have to actually watch the movie and listen to the dialogue, and, yeah. and they they go out of their way to be. Like, this is not a member of that community. This is a crazy person who hates himself, and so he sees this gender change as a way to not be himself. Hey, don't you hurt my dog! Don't you make me hurt your dog! Hey, you don't know what pain is! So Buffalo Bill, created by Thomas Harris for these novels, he comes from a whole smorgasbord of cool dudes. I'm sure, yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to run through these real fast. This will be really uplifting to hear about some of these crimes in a abbreviated manner, but you'll see where some of it comes from. This should be a ball of fun. Jerry Brudos strangled his victims, dressed up in their clothing, and kept their shoes. Ed Gein, the famous Ed Gein. That's right. Fashioned trophies and keepsakes from bones and skin of corpses he dug up in cemeteries. He also made a female skin suit and skin masks. I will say, Ed Gein seems like he did some horrible things. Contributed significantly to the future of films. just such a fascinating guy. (laughs) He actually only killed a few people, so he's not as bad as some of these others. I know, but but he did make a skin suit. So many of these horror movies, like, inspired by Yeah, obviously the skin mask, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ted Bundy pretended to have injuries as a ploy to lure in his victims. Gary M. Heidnick kidnapped, raped, tortured six women while holding them in a pit. Oh boy. Two of those women died. Edmund Kemper murdered his grandparents as a teen. And this is the backstory on Bill omitted from the film, but I figured I'd throw it in there as well. There's a lot more to Buffalo Bill in the novel, but I think it's kind of sure. cool in the movie that it's very mysterious. You don't really have we this don't whole need to backstory. Know. Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. the Green River Killer, dumped women victims in rivers and inserted foreign objects into their corpses. So pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think he actually might have killed the most out of all these people because it took them forever to find him. Alfredo Bali Trevino murdered and decapitated his boyfriend, and he was also a serial killer suspected of some hitchhiker murders. So that sort of plays into the Benjamin Raspail oh, aspect of it. Yeah. Wow. And you can see how he took all those pieces to sort of form the ultimate serial killer. <laughs> the, the super Bill. villain. It does make you wonder when when you run through a list of serial killers, you're like, "Good lord, how many like people are out there murdering people?" It's just it must wild. be really hard to be a woman because most of those people I listed killed women. Most serial killers probably killed women. I would agree. It does seem hard. Yeah, a lot of serial killers, like the BTK killer, for instance, or whoever, you wouldn't be able to pick them out. They're just regular looking people, whatever, boring. But then there's these guys like Buffalo Bill. And I also I've and I'll they maintain this sleeve. to this day. His his brother in arms, Zed oh, from yeah. Pulp Fiction, who That's I right. think is very Buffalo Bill esque in I'd my say opinion. So. <laughs> Those are the type of people that 
you probably have encountered in your life at one time or and another. And you're like, I think something's yeah, up. Yeah, something's off about this guy. It's a little too weird. Yeah. You could definitely see them killing people. <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to judge a book by its cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where would we be without judging books by yeah, its cover? Really? We would be in a pit in some exactly. maniac's basement. <laughs> yeah, you know, just don't go near this person. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. From a research point of view, Lecter is our most prized asset. As soon as the score starts up over the Orion Pictures logo, just goosebumps. Right oh, this away. is where we're at. <laughs> we're at the opening <laughs> title <laughs> sequence. It's only, you know, an okay. hour. In. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sucks me in every single time when that music starts. The score in this oh, movie I know. is really cool. And I, I, I'm going to say it till I die. We're a broken record about these things, but... There's just something about these movies, a texture, a depth, real people, real places. It looks real. Absolutely. It's just so much better than the stuff that looks so sanitized and almost like as even when I know there's no computer generated effects involved, it still looks like CGI things now. Yeah, right. Everything is so pristine. It just seems so real looking. Yeah, I can remember being a kid and being over at my parents friend's house and there was uh they were getting ready to watch silence of the lambs and i stayed in the room to watch just like this opening scene of her like (laughs) running up the hill with like this rope and like i didn't know what the movie was about but basically they were like this is a scary movie you can't watch it (laughs) you know (laughs) and i I was you were 23 (laughs) yeah (laughs) this was just a few weeks ago yeah but i i always remembered that scene thinking like what the fuck is going on and like years later, I see the movie. I'm just like, oh, she's just at like an FBI training ground. Yeah, I thought she was like running from someone. Well, those know? out of context scenes when you're a kid always seem so strange. Right, right. And then when you actually see the thing, it's like it has oh. nothing to do with anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we may have mentioned five years ago that there's just a feel to this movie, like something out of the 1970s. You yeah. know, just that room and patience to stretch your legs. And just live in the world and the scenes. And when you look at the runtime, it's only a hair under two hours. And yet right. it feels much longer because you just, you feel like you're invested. And not feels longer in a bad way, but you feel like you just have lived with these characters because you live in these scenes and they feel like real places and real things. And I don't know, it's almost like a, a tactile feeling to it. Like you just, you know, this world. Yeah, it really reminds me of the pilot episode of twin peaks just the look <laughs> and feel of it and two more time periods two of my all-time you know just all media considered two of my all-time favorite things like that pilot episode this movie we're in the woods near quantico virginia clarice starling played by jody foster is pulled from a training course with a message to go see jack crawford of the bureau's behavioral science unit as you mentioned, there is that famous elevator shot where Clarice gets in and it's all men, and you see a noticeable height discrepancy. Yeah, totally. She's wearing a different set of clothes than they are, so she stands out even more. And so you get a sense right away of the world that she's existing in. She is a petite woman in a man's world, basically, and that is a huge part of The Silence of the Lambs, for sure. Oh, Absolutely. Let's remember that The Silence of the Lambs is a feminist picture, first and foremost, and this is our first indication of that. When she's waiting for Jack 
we see the pictures and clippings regarding the ongoing Buffalo Bill situation. He's a serial killer on the loose. We see some crime scene photos. There's a manhunt going on. Jack, played by Scott Glenn, assigns Clarice to interview Hannibal Lecter, a former psychiatrist and incarcerated cannibalistic serial killer, all under the guise of completing some sort of psychological profile. I know being in FBI school is different (laughs) than most schools, but I mean, can you just imagine being like in your senior year of whatever, and they're just like throwing you into the fire with, you know, I mean, I feel like it's believable because this is how you get hands-on training, and theoretically, she's just interviewing someone who's already been. Yeah, it, it, it feels like the majors, though, to me. It doesn't feel like the minors. Yeah, but that's only because we know that Hannibal Lecter that guy is like a big deal. eats people. Yeah, and we get the sense that this is a movie, and this is one of the main characters of that movie. Okay, I'm convinced. I think it's not that different from in certain school programs when you have to take on an internship, and it's basically like you're doing the job. Sure, already. and I guess when you're in med school, you're probably like shoving pipes down people's throats. or whatever whatever whatever. doctors do exactly (laughs) some sort of bullshit crawford is sort of cagey on whether or not this has anything to do with buffalo bill he just says quote help in unsolved cases is what this psychological profile might do i guess you can assume that crawford knows all along that lector might be able to actually help them with this case that this profile thing is bullshit he's like i know lector's gonna like her his little preparation for her, though, and this will be something repeated by several of the other characters in the next few minutes, it's like going to see an animal or a monster. <laughs> it's building up this anticipation in the audience. Like, okay, so this guy that we're going to see is so dangerous that oh, yeah. even just the prototypical jail cells and the prototypical procedures right. are not enough. Well, they set it up perfectly, too, because then once you actually get there, even this long walk with Chilton to get there, it's like yeah. you're just walking to like the dungeon of this place. We're interviewing all the serial killers now in custody for a psychobehavioral profile. Could be a real help in unsolved cases. Most of them have been happy to talk to us. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. See, the one we want most refuses to cooperate. I want you to go after him again today in the asylum. And who's the subject? The psychiatrist, Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal the cannibal. I don't expect him to talk to you. But I have to be able to say we tried. So if he won't cooperate, I want just straight reporting. How's he look? How's his cell look? Is he sketching, drawing? If he is, what's he sketching? Here's a uh, dossier on Lecter. Copy of our questionnaire and a special ID for you. Have your memo on my desk by 0800 Wednesday. Okay. Um, excuse me, sir, but why the urgency? Lecter's been in prison for so many years now. Is there some connection between him and Buffalo Bill, maybe? I wish there were. I want your full attention, Starling. Yes, sir. Be very careful with Hannibal Lecter. Dr. Chilton at the asylum will go over all the physical procedures used with him. Do not deviate from them for any reason whatsoever. And you're to tell him nothing personal, Starling. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. 
She goes to the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane and meets Dr. Frederick Chilton, played by Anthony Heald. Between Chilton and Miggs, who is more repugnant? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess Chilton, because he's just like running wild. He's just out free. (laughs) There's something so horrifying, though, about someone like Chilton who is just so self-aggrandizing and and trying to be like this big deal. Yeah. And also, yeah, he's also a pig. Where at least with Migs, all the cards are on the table. That's right. <laughs> Migs we know isn't what we're punches. <laughs> Chilton makes a awkward pass at Starling. This is just the first of many times. Are you staying over tonight? Where those things will come up in her world. When he's rebuffed, he tries to take her down a peg, as people are wont to do. But is there some truth? Is there this reality to what he's saying about her? just being this bait because that's basically what he says he's like oh very smart of jack crawford to send a pretty <laughs> mocking crawford. girl here to get lector all yeah. riled up he hasn't even seen a woman in eight years or whatever i'm gonna say yes there is some truth to it no i know that there's truth to what crawford did but is oh, there yeah. is there some truth to like is this okay or is this not okay i think the movie is sort of walking a line for a while it's sort of goes haywire in Hannibal, but again, I, I compare it to the strength of a man, okay, of a big strong guy, or the speed of someone, or the intellect of someone. If your whole purpose is to catch the bad guys, why would you not want to use any tool in your tool chest? That's right. And I so can get behind that. If her looks played a factor in Lecter opening up, should that matter? It probably would matter to her, and I understand that, and I, I get that. But at the same time, let's say that Lecter opens up, they catch Buffalo Bill in the next hour, yeah, and everything's cool, and it's like, well, you accomplished the thing you needed to accomplish. It feels like it would have been worth it. I mean, you saved a life. <laughs> I will say this. I can't use my looks to save a life. <laughs> I know that this is also <laughs> involved like with- Ending lives. <laughs> <laughs> your, your own, hopefully. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> If her thing is to get Lecter to open up, then what difference does it make? Yeah. But people don't want to think of it like that. But I definitely think that this movie toys around with that idea as if she's put into this situation. Oh, I'd say so. She rises to the occasion. For don't sure, get me for wrong. Sure. It's not like she's some bubble headed co ed. No, no, no. <laughs> she's a badass for sure. Yeah. We get a little reminder of Lecter's history. Chilton shows her the video of what he did to some nurse or something when he faked having a heart attack. Barney is played by Frankie Faison. That's right. He is actually one of two actors who appear in this film and Manhunter, but they do not play the same characters in the two films. Was well, he in Hannibal too? The yeah, Barney I believe he is, but he's playing the same character. Yeah, yeah. He's in Manhunter. He plays like a police detective or oh, somebody. He's okay. only in one scene. And this is Baltimore, and isn't he in The Wire too? Yes. Yeah. He played uh, Commissioner Burrell. That's right. It's Baltimore, gentlemen. (laughs) The gods will not save you. The other person who makes an appearance in this film who was also in Manhunter is the guy that identifies the death's head moth. The guy from Frasier. Oh, yeah. plays the sports guy. (laughs) That's right. He actually is also in Manhunter, and he also is not playing the same character, which I think is weird that two people made the jump but aren't playing the same character or anything like that. Maybe just Jonathan Demme having some fun. (laughs) Someone's having fun. Not our listeners. No, no. (laughs) As per usual. The place that they keep Lecter is just this insane, dank basement of nightmares. Society's unwanted and hoped to be forgotten people. 
Yeah. Could you picture yourself here? No. <laughs> I'm not going along with that joke. No, I couldn't. I've, ne- I've never committed a crime. No, no. But, you know, people might demand that you be there, though. <laughs> yeah, people who listen to this podcast. Yeah, right. They all signed a petition. Clarice passes by Miggs's cell, and he yells out, I can smell your cunt. Later, Lecter will confront this head-on. And there's sort of a wisdom to the way that Lecter handles this situation, although he does extract revenge on Miggs later. But Lecter sort of seems to understand something that a lot of people still don't understand today, is that the power of these words that we don't like or we don't want to hear are sort of taken away when you just confront it head on because he immediately asks Clarice what did Mig say and then yeah, he yeah. sort of makes a joke which semi creepy joke but it's a but joke most and, things and the power is just gone like that oh yeah 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 now Migs seems like a doofus for saying it <laughs> rather <laughs> well, than something one. scary yeah well he's gonna get that scariness back <laughs> in a minute when he does when he umps the ante a little that's bit that's true yeah <laughs> That is horrifying. The first time we see Hannibal, he's just standing there completely still with his arms at his sides like some fucking weirdo. And you're immediately like, wow, this guy is kind of frightening. She just turns around. <laughs> he's just standing in the middle of his cell with his arms. And you're just like, his hair slicked back. He doesn't seem very big, but he's got that intense look. Yeah. It's kind of like, this is what I do all day. I stand in this cell. Hopkins was like... One way to be unnerving is to just not blink that much, and Lecter rarely blinks. That's true. He's highly intelligent, has impeccable manners. It's this portrayal by this great, dignified Shakespearean actor, and it's a completely different version of a psychopathic serial killer than anyone yeah, had just, seen before. I guess it's just like such an unexpected villain. Just this, you used the word earlier, this suave yeah. murderer cannibal. Yeah, because usually you have these superhuman zombie types like a Jason or a Michael Myers, or you have just this gross monster like in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is probably more closely to Migs or something. But that's what people would think of more of if you want to use a real life equivalent like a Henry Lee Lucas, which is sort of what Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is based on, like a drifter, oh, yeah. a scary looking guy, like a Buffalo Bill a little bit. Sure. Pierce Being- Nipples presented with a guy like Hannibal Lecter, I think blew people's minds a little bit. I think so. I mean, it's withstood the test of time. Good morning. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? I am, yes. May I see your credentials? Certainly. Closer, please. Closer. That expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? I'm still in training at the academy. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm qualified enough to do that. Mm-hmm. 
That is rather slippery of you, Agent Starling. Sit, please. Now then, tell me, what did Miggs say to you? Multiple Miggs in the next cell. He hissed at you. What did he say? He said, I can smell your cunt. I see. I myself cannot. You use Evian skin cream. And sometimes you wear lead at home. But not today. Although initially pleasant and courteous, Lecter grows impatient with Starling's interviewing. Well, he is a bit temperamental. <laughs> he can get annoyed and just be, he demands and shut it down. a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but he is the one that turns the conversation towards Buffalo Bill voluntarily, and he wants to know. You do wonder how easy is it to keep up with the news? Well, I guess he's allowed to read newspapers because okay. I think he mentions that. Because he says the papers won't say how Buffalo Bill got his nickname. So then Starling explains that it started as a joke in the Kansas City Homicide, where he said he likes to skin his humps, which yeah, very, I really don't even get the joke. Neither what do I, but joke? I feel like it's very poor taste in the Kansas City well, Homicide. Well, yeah, but is it because a, I was like, well, I guess a buffalo has a hump, but I don't know. I got to tell you, I, I, I really don't know. I can buy what you're saying. Buffalo's. But do humps. they? <laughs> Or I, is that only a camel? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I, I hate to admit show. that on the yeah. show, but I don't really know what this joke means. It's okay. Let's just uh, <laughs> blow past it. Did you do all these wrongs, Doctor? Ah. That is the Duomo scene from the Belvedere. Do you know Florence? All that detail just from memory, sir? Memory agent starting is what I have instead of a view. Well, perhaps you'd care to lend us your view on this questionnaire, sir. Oh, no, 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 no. You were doing fine. You had been courteous and receptive to courtesy. You had established trust with the embarrassing truth about Migs. And now this ham-handed segue into your questionnaire, it won't do. I'm only asking you to look at this, Doctor. Either you will or you won't. Yeah. Jack Crawford must be very busy indeed if he is recruiting help from the student body. Busy hunting that new one, Buffalo Bill. What a naughty boy he is. Do you know why he's called Buffalo Bill? Please tell me. The newspapers won't say. Well, it started as a bad joke in Kansas City Homicide, and they said... This one likes to skin his humps. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Throw me with your acumen. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. Hannibal rejects her and sends her on her way. But as she's leaving, Miggs throws some semen at her. Oh, no. Miggs. <laughs> Come on, Miggs. <laughs> I do like how it upsets the other prisoners. Like, well, the- Yeah, there's one who's supposed to be like completely goofy, 
And then there's like the polite psychopath. According to the credits at oh, the yeah. end of the movie, there's like different people. And one is like polite psychopath. And but, he's the one who's like, Megs, goddamn you. You fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be me. Yeah. You're blowing it with yeah. this chick. <laughs> we just finally got a chick down here. It's been years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's truly vile. It's oh, nothing. it's so fucked up. And you can't believe that this was included in a movie. Oh, yeah, this is way before There's Something About Mary. Yeah. <laughs> she rubs it through her hair. It sticks up on top of her head. <laughs> is this a Mad TV sketch? Should we get Mad TV back on the air right now? <laughs> I do think this is so wild, though, because, you, again, you got to give Clarice credit because she is tough. How? How would you recover from this? This is I- in the height of AIDS panic, and it seems like it kind of gets on her eye. I'd be, like, freaking out. Oh, yeah. And off mic last week... I went on a whole rant about how disgusting uh. I find semen. <laughs> Just completely yeah. horrified and disgusted at this part. It was weird how much you were talking about that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she so she like, Lecter calls her back when she's like kind of running away after well, Yeah, that's what I mean. How would you go back though? If you're her, I would be like, I, I need to get to a shower well, There's ASAP. so much urgency by yeah. this person that she was trying to interview. She wants to do good so bad. She has this ambition in her career. Hannibal considers it a, quote, unspeakably ugly act and thus decides to offer her something after all. So Miggs, not all that bad. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Gets things going here with Hannibal. (laughs) Miggs was doing her a favor. (laughs) Anyway, Hannibal calls Clarice back and tells her to seek out an old patient of his. He says, quote, Look deep within yourself, Clarice Starling. Go seek out Miss Moffat. An old patient of mine, M-O-F-E-T. And on her way out, she has some flashbacks of Daddy. And then we find out Miggs is dead. He swallowed his own tongue after Lecter talked to him all afternoon. Yeah, you wonder what that conversation was like. I think it's physically impossible to die from choking on your own tongue. But it sounds cool in this movie. It does, but it's like, imagine someone talking you into doing it. Unless he bit off his own tongue and then choked on it, which yeah, is somehow even worse. Yeah. <laughs> Hannibal destroyed all of his patients' records before he got caught, so there are no records to go through, but Clarice somehow puts it together that Lecter was referring to a storage facility in Baltimore called Yourself Storage. That's right. You do have to do a lot of reading between the lines with Lecter. Everything's a game. Yeah, everything's a misdirection. Everything is set up to entertain himself, and... Clarice proves to be up to the challenge, even if it sometimes strains credibility. You'd have to almost know ahead of time that Lecter was going to be giving you clues and not straight answers to even know what he was talking about. Yeah, that you would go to think this. Yeah, basically her whole thing is like, well, that whole line of look deep within yourself seems too corny for him. So it must (laughs) mean something else. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're Lecter... If you give her a clue that's too hard, and then it just ends, and then that's it. And it's like, well, was it worth not giving her enough information? Couldn't you have just kept this going longer? (laughs) But whatever. It's a movie. Sure. So she goes to this self-storage place outside of Baltimore. It's one of the strangest and hardest-to-believe segments, yet always stands out to me. I always think about this place. I always think about her going into that place. It's so creepy and weird really is lonely it just seems like 
the units in this place are not the type of units that people frequently come to and get stuff from. It's like, well, it seems like a year, lot of situations years like are what's going, going by. on in this yeah. place. <laughs> not unit... to mention this fucking ghoul that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is helping her. This ancient man. Yeah. And this obviously must be somewhere in Pittsburgh, but I don't know where. I don't know. It feels like there's. A I'm good sure it's it might long be... gone yeah, now. Not around. But... <laughs> the unit was prepaid for ten years in the name of Miss Hester Moffat. So that's your first misdirection. Is that the name Moffat means nothing? It's just the name that this thing is under. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Clarice cuts her leg on that rusty nail. Gross. That part. I mean, that st- sends a tingle like right up the butt. Oof. I'm just like, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Every yeah. time, I hate it. That's actually the most horrifying part of this really movie is, for yeah. me. I can't deal with that. It's rusty. <laughs> it's just like these things that kind of have your mind spinning like, well, after then happening, the MIG situation, the rust. Yeah. So many bad elements. She's going to have to go to the hospital. That's right. For sure. In the unit, Clarice discovers a jar containing a man's severed head. Huh. The head has lipstick on it and stuff and makeup. Yeah. That's kind of a surprise. Without any real advance notification or authorization or anything clarice immediately returns to Lecter. not really sure how she does this considering the first time it took like a whole rigmarole to get right, it to right. happen but whatever Lecter says the man's real name is benjamin raspail who Lecter claims is linked to buffalo bill Lecter says he didn't kill him implying that bill did he refers to raspail as a fledgling killer's first attempt at transformation what happened to your drawings Punishment, you see, for MIGs. Just like that gospel program. When you leave, they'll turn the volume way up. Dr. Chilton does enjoy his petty torments. What did you mean by transformation, Doctor? I've been in this room for eight years now, Clarice. I know they will never, ever let me out while I'm alive. What I want is a view. I want a window where I can see a tree or even water. I want to be in a federal institution far away from Dr. Chilton. What did you mean by fledgling killer? Are you saying that he's killed again? I'm offering you a psychological profile of Buffalo Bill based on the case evidence. I'll help you catch him, Clary. You know who he is, don't you? Tell me who decapitated your patient, Doctor. All good things to those who wait. I've waited, Clarice, but how long can you and old Jackie boy wait? Our little Billy must already be searching for that next special lady. Hannibal offers to profile Buffalo Bill on the condition he be transferred somewhere with a view away from Chilton, who he detests, and he says, quote, I'll help you catch him, Clarice. Okay. So we're off. Yep. And a perfect cut to the next scene, which is a big part of this movie, is the editing and the cuts between the different segments and how it, it sort of just knows when to turn the screw, yeah. when to ramp things up. Because we launch right into American Girl playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catherine would, driving along, bopping. Really just, uh, you know, th- th- it is one of those moments where I'm just watching it and I'm like, wow, literally me. 
<laughs> driving around blasting Tom Petty. <laughs> Just wearing a big dress. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Getting ready to help some guy with a broken arm. <laughs> You would like, be like a victim of Ted Bundy, oh, absolutely you? <laughs> getting lured into something like so easily, like thinking I'm being a nice person. Actually, we're moving some furniture tomorrow. Oh, yeah, you're like telling me to get into the back of the U-Haul. <laughs> you about a size fourteen. <laughs> so, in the parking lot of her apartment building, there's a guy trying to get a love seat into the back of a van, but he has an arm injury. He has a cast on his arm. This is our first look at Buffalo Bill. He tricks Catherine into helping, who then gets into the van to pull the love seat in. He comes in after her, bashes her on the head, cuts her dress or her shirt off, to, I guess, to look oh, at yeah. the tag. I don't know why he would leave a calling card of the cut shirt, because they say that on the news later. Right. That that's how they know Buffalo Bill has her. But I just think, like, why would he do that? It It feels, like, not worth it. I will say this scene is awesome, because there's... Definitely, like, attention to her feeling uneasy about, like, should she even do this? Like, she's kind of yeah. like looking back at her apartment, kind of looking around. If it was me, I, I wouldn't have even looked. I would have been oh, like, yeah. I would have already been in my apartment with the door closed. <laughs> right, like, no thanks. Even if it was a yeah. woman trying to lift it in. <laughs> like, a 90-year-old woman. <laughs> Slam, my door slamming I gotta shut. tell you, this situation doesn't feel right. <laughs> Could you help me, please? Have you seen Silence of the Lambs, lady? No. <laughs> Fuck being polite. He abducts Catherine Martin, who turns out to be a senator's daughter. So this is definitely a big mistake from old Billy Boy. <laughs> this is going to get some attention that he didn't need. This ramps everything up. They already sort of know the routine with Bill. I think if they found the shirt and someone was reported missing, they may have been able to link it to him and gotten the ball rolling although the urgency may not have been there even though it is a human life it's just the spotlight is different that's right i just think when it's politicians miscalculation money oh yeah now you're on talking. bill's part yeah right yeah this was a mistake <laughs> does he do no advanced research on these women Other come on than their dude. dress size <laughs> another buffalo bill victim is found and we find out during this little segment that he keeps him alive for three days we don't know why so, of course, conveniently, right after we see Catherine abducted, we know we have three days to find her. This body was found in Clay County, West Virginia. Starling and Crawford fly out there via helicopter. So this is now essentially confirmation that Starling is just working this case now. That's right. Out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this, if you wanted to point to something, seems a bit much. Her going to interview Lecter, I okay. could sort of buy that. Yeah, yeah. This is like, where did this come from? Right, right. <laughs> He's like, I don't know, we'll be going down to Clay County, West Virginia. We might have to get a room at the Holiday Inn. The FBI's trying to cut back, so we might not be able to get two rooms. <laughs> I could this sleep in the car, but it's better than the floor anyway. It's just a scheme by Crawford. There is no victim. <laughs> Crawford is the one killing the girls. Crawford's just like hammered, like slamming beers, like, come on, Clarice, let's get in the helicopter. <laughs> Head down to Clay, West Virginia. <laughs> a romantic weekend in Clay, West Virginia. <laughs> Yeah, really. What a dump this place is. <laughs> On the way there, they look at the case file for Frederica Bimmel, who was actually Bill's first victim. Crawford sort of explains more of the M.O. He keeps them for three days, and then he shoots them. 
skins them and dumps them. Frederica was the first. Her body was the only one he took the trouble to weight down. So actually, she was the third girl found. After her, he got lazy. Seems like Bill works across multiple states, which is also sort of crazy. Yeah, well, it's a lot of driving. Because it's like, if you're driving with a dead body, that's... It makes it way harder to find a serial killer, though. In fact, it would probably have taken a long time before they even connected these cases together. That's right. We don't get that whole backstory in the movie, but I'm sure it it had to have taken multiple victims before they even knew what they were dealing with. But, I mean, mean, you're taking on a lot of risk. Oh, yeah. I like the attention to detail here at the funeral home. There happens to be a funeral coinciding with this. I think... Probably several times of watching this film, I sort of, for some reason, thought that this funeral going on was for the girl that they're also doing the autopsy on, which makes zero sense. Yeah, I I guess I never put much thought into it. I mean, this is another one of those famous scenes of her just being in a room with like a million dudes. Yes. But even though it's obviously not this poor girl's funeral, I do like seeing this because it's a reminder that this person on the slab here was a person with That's a right. life. Yes. There's a weight to it. Because they are having like this kind of like cold scientific approach to the autopsy that they're doing here. Yeah, so it's sort of like by showing us another funeral going right, on at right. the same time, it's like a reminder. They don't even know who this girl is yet at the oh, time. Yeah. There's flashbacks to Clarice's father's funeral. The way that shot plays out is awesome. It's kind of almost more artistic than anything else in the rest of the movie when she's walking to the casket yeah yeah there's a moment here where crawford excludes her to talk to the police privately under the guise of it's too sensitive of a subject to talk she about can't handle it woman. yeah later crawford explains the purpose of this but she's furious she rightly points out that even if he's doing it intentionally to sort of get in with these guys that it's a bad precedent because they look to the FBI for an example. I don't know if that's necessarily true. They might not really like the FBI, but I think her point's valid. During the victim's autopsy, a cocoon for what will later be identified as a death's head moth is found lodged in the victim's throat. And so when they get back to Quantico... That's when Matt and I first appear in the film. <laughs> These bug nerd guys. Oh, I know. Just like drooling, all, falling all over themselves. Reminiscent of the lone gunman from the X That's files. true. Yeah, except these two are even like dopier than that somehow. In viewing The Silence of the Lambs now, it's almost overwhelming to witness a nonstop commentary on Starling's femininity. Yeah, that's true. The cross-eyed bug guy is supposed to be funny, and she can obviously handle him easily, and he's not really threatening. Oh, it's or anything. super non-threatening. But nevertheless, it is relentless. It's like fucking Absolutely. Chilton immediately. Yes, yes, right. This guy immediately. It's like she's just doing a job. Uh, can I ever live just like a normal life and have a normal interaction with someone? I guess. I, I, Meanwhile, if, woman, if she worked at like, BP, we no. would be having like endless conversations we'd be making like more trips to bp than anyone ever has in the history of a gas station so i mean i'm not really i get it from a perspective of like you meet this beautiful woman and for whatever reason this cross-eyed guy thinks he has a chance with her i I mean it does seem like they do go on a date at the end of the movie but (laughs) a quote-unquote date (laughs) i get it like you you think you have your one shot you might as well shoot your shot and if you're respectful and you don't do anything weird, then it, how, what's the harm? But- Although this guy's like, just his existence is weird. <laughs> Him existing is doing something weird. Do you like cheeseburgers right, <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. You know, 
But yeah, from her perspective, it's like this guy obviously isn't thinking about well. She lives in a world where all of the other trainees in the program are staring at her nonstop, and yeah, yeah. Chilton is immediately asking her if she's staying over in Baltimore, right. and Crawford may only be giving her this opportunity because he wants to fuck her or whatever. It's just an endless thing that she has to deal with, oh, and yeah. then being reminded by Chilton, like, oh, you're only doing this because you're this hot young thing that Lecter might like. Not because of your brain, not because you might be the best person for this or anything like that. Which we say to Chilton, look, just because it's true, you don't have to point it out. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking with these dudes and, and even going back to like the morgue scene or I guess the autopsy scene, this whole thing of him importing these moth eggs from like Asia. Yeah. This just seemed like such an impossible business to be in <laughs> pre-Amazon, pre-like internet. You mean the people selling them to him? I, I yes, I just mean like uh, acquiring this stuff. Well, he's a weirdo. I, I know. I'm and not this saying is stuff I, that weirdos I, would do. I understand it. It was possible, certainly, but like just the leaps you had to go to do the you types to, of things. You probably have to have like a special catalog from somewhere. Yeah, some sort of a connection, maybe. But yeah, you're, you're not really finding a website or something. <laughs> <laughs> we get a check in with Bill. And the first look at his endlessly vast basement. Catherine is begging from a well. Bill also seems oblivious to all the hoopla over his latest victim being a senator's daughter. I do kind of like the uh, back and forth that these two start to develop in their short time together. (laughs) Just a lot of bickering. Yeah, there's a hilarious picture out there of Ted Levine with like a hat on. And I think her name's Brooke Smith, who plays Catherine Martin. Okay. Sort of a behind-the-scenes picture of them, arms around each other, smiling, <laughs> but funny. like on set, so it, yeah. it's very like unnerving. <laughs> it's just a strange picture. Yeah. Clarice's roommate or friend or potentially girlfriend is named Ardelia. She's played by Cassie Lemons, who we would know from Candyman. We do, yes. And she was also the director of the recent film Harriet, about Harriet Tubman oh, and yeah. Eve's Bayou which is a movie in the 90s, which I believe Samuel L. Jackson was in. Okay. She's not really like a huge factor in the movie, but it's cool to see her. I'd say so. Crawford authorizes Starling to offer Lecter a fake deal promising a prison transfer if he provides information that helps them capture Buffalo Bill and rescue Catherine. Instead, or in addition, either way, Lecter demands a quid pro Quo from Starling offering clues about Buffalo Bill in exchange for personal information about her. So Clarice tells Hannibal about the murder of her father when she was 10 years old. At first, I kind of felt like he was asking for a lot more than what he was giving. Like the first couple exchanges, it doesn't really seem like he's giving a lot back. Well, he probably sees what he's giving as being more valuable, and it takes her to like to explain That's the true. situation. She's got to go deep. After her father's death, she was an orphan. She was then sent to live on a relative's Montana farm. Hannibal says the significance of the moth is change. She sees the road that he's going down That's because right. we start going down a transsexual road, and she says the transsexuals are passive and nonviolent. I also love during this conversation when they're talking about the uncle and he's like so quick to be like, you know, what did he do to you <laughs> or something like I think that's the second time. Oh, okay. She talks about leaving. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be that's the second time. You're right. 
He says, clever girl, you're so close to the way you're going to catch him. Do you know that? And she's like, no. <laughs> so then he he sort of explains, and this is a big clue, and this will factor into how Crawford is later able to get a positive ID, and it takes them forever in a pre-internet age. But he basically says there are three major centers for gender realignment surgery or whatever it Weird was thing to at know. that point. Well, he's a doctor. Okay. Who's he, also a psychiatrist. He keeps up on all the studies. Well, you have to understand the whole gender transition surgery stuff has changed a lot. Sure. Back then, you weren't able to just have it done. Right. You had to like basically go through this like evaluation, I think, with like a I'm kind of talking out of my ass, but this is sort of true, I think. <laughs> I just know that there was more of a process. There sure, were three sure. places that really did it, and it wasn't like they just let anyone do it. And it was John Hopkins, the University of Minnesota, and Columbus Medical Center. And the idea being that it was very likely that whoever this Buffalo Bill person would be someone that they rejected. Right. In other words, you could be rejected at the time. I could. After about a person. Okay. <laughs> you would be rejected because they'd be like just because you don't like your job doesn't mean that you can just change sexes unbeknownst to clarice chilton is secretly recording their conversation it rubs the lotion on its skin it does this whenever it's told mr my family will pay cash whatever ransom you're asking for they'll pay it it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Yes, you will, precious. You will get the hose. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. Mr. If you let me go, I won't. I won't press charges, I promise. See, my mom is a real important woman. I guess you already know that. Now it places the lotion in the basket. Please. Please. Oh, my God. Please. Please. It places the lotion in the basket. I want to see my mommy. Please. I want to see my see bill again this is one of the more famous times we see him where he drops down the lotion and he says it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again i love the affected voice that ted levine uses when he's talking normal and then when he is mocking Catherine screaming that's right after she sees the blood and the fingernails on the well wall i know imp- but implying it's like, that there were previous victims that sets her off and you know, strikes a, strikes a chord with her, but it's like, well, well she honey, think, where did you think this was well, heading? Well, she thought that he kidnapped her because of her mom. 
that he was looking for a ransom. Yeah, yeah. Because she says that a few times at the beginning. Like, she doesn't really fully grasp the weight of the situation. But when you realize there have been other girls before and they're not down there with you, (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty uh, eye-opening as to what's going on. Uh, Yeah, I don't think... I, I would get one look at this pit in this basement and be like, this ain't a kidnapping. This ain't a ransom well, yeah, situation. I, I agree with you, but yeah, you, know. you know she was holding out hope, I guess. Yeah, I get Do you it. think that like when he's mocking her screaming and he's like, pulling at his chest, is he imitating like breasts or is he just being weird with his shirt? I, it's hard to tell. I mean, he's being weird a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> Shocking news, Buffalo Bill is a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I would say if you want to put your money on something, being weird is definitely... The, the odds are set in your design favor. in this movie is just off the charts because there's all these little details in his basement, and we'll we'll talk about some of them as we go. But one of them I'll just point out now because there's you know why would we bring it up later? There's like those pictures of him with strippers. Oh right, yeah. Because I don't know if this is I, I I've only believe it or not people probably think I'm like some huge creep. I think I've only been to a strip club like once. It's just not my scene. But uh, yeah, I do not- know that there was a time at certain strip clubs where you could pay for pictures with the naked strippers. Oh, wow. I've heard about this in other places, and so those pictures That's of him with the strippers make sense. whole level of sad that I am happy I to admit I haven't Smodcast. dipped <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, okay, now this is a new level of sad. <laughs> no, I just think it was something, you know, it was like $5. You get like a Polaroid okay. or something. It might have been more, and then they would sign it or something like as if they were famous i don't i don't know whatever but like yeah those pictures of him with the strippers i think is like hilarious it's like a weird touch i think that these types of serial killers are just have such a fucked up relationship with sex even though we're not really sure if buffalo bill is gay or straight or what the level of pornography probably going on is always like a dangerous amount i'm sure basically just sound familiar confessing right now where it's all headed for me (laughs) but we'll talk about some more of the details later when we talk about the big basement chilton reveals clarice's deceit regarding the deal so happy with himself too oh he's always so pleased with himself he's so hateable (laughs) yeah yeah the way the hannibal lecter storyline ends in this movie is great because the chilton character is so hateable he offers Lecter a different deal instead, and he's completely pompous and self-serving and a blowhard. However, he leaves his pen on Lecter's yeah. bed, and they really great camera work here. Really yeah. show you that pen, yeah, because he's just like Lecter, like <laughs> with his eyes. Yeah. Oh yeah, the eye acting is off the charts. <laughs> Dynamite eye acting. Lecter agrees to the deal, but wants to be flown to Tennessee to tell Senator Martin what he knows face to face. For some reason. They just agree to this. This actually seems insane. They're like, we're going to move this guy who's considered the most dangerous person ever, basically, just to tell her something face to face. Right. This guy also has an, but I guess a, a he, history of being an asshole to people that he talks to. I guess they think that the, the situation is so dire and she has enough power that they're like, he has all the cards. If he has right. information, we have to do this. And maybe... And this isn't explained in the movie, but maybe some of the stuff he's told Clarice has been vetted enough where they're sure. like, we kind of can connect Benjamin Raspail to this guy. We're not 100% sure if he's telling the truth about everything, but there was this head. It kind of feels like this dude knows something. Yeah. 
he's not really questioned about the head on camera because I, I I would just assume that he's lying and that he's the one who murdered the guy who's in this storage right, right. unit. But you know, whatever. Lecter is wheeled in, strapped to a board in a straight jacket with this, this mask, mask over his mouth. I think it was designed by a guy who did hockey goalie masks yeah, in New has Jersey that look. or something like that. They're in an airport hangar in Memphis. Lecter then meets and torments Senator Martin, then gives yeah. her misleading information on She's Buffalo not too Bill. She's thrilled with Hannibal. Yeah, I'm not really sure why he takes this shot at her other than to either entertain himself or to make a complete fool out of Chilton above all else. In other words, since Chilton is there and he keeps putting himself in the middle of it, he even like does that ridiculously dramatic Senator Martin meet Dr. Hannibal. You know, like he's <laughs> yeah, like he clown. has to be there. Right. Senator Martin, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Dr. Lecter, I brought an affidavit guaranteeing your new rights. You want to read it before I sign. I won't waste your time or Catherine's time bargaining for petty privileges. Clarice Starling and that awful Jack Crawford have wasted far too much time already. I only pray they haven't doomed the poor girl. Let me help you now and I will trust you when it is all over. You have my word, Paul. Buffalo Bill's real name is Louis Friend. I met him just once. He was referred to me in April or May 1980 by my patient Benjamin Raspell. They were lovers, you see. But Raspell had become very frightened. Apparently, Lewis had murdered a transient and done things with the skin. We need his address and a physical description. Tell me, Senator, did you nurse Catherine yourself? What? Did you breastfeed her? Now, wait a minute. Yes, I did. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Oh, son of a bitch. Amputate a man's leg and he can still feel it tickling. Tell me, Mom, when your little girl is on the slab, where will it tickle you? Take this thing back to Baltimore. Five for ten, strongly built, about 180 pounds. Hair blonde, eyes pale blue. He'd be about 35 now. He said he lived in Philadelphia, but may have lied. That's all I can remember, Mom. But if I think of any more, I will let you know. Oh, and Senator, just one more thing. Love your suit. This misleading information, though, he gives includes the name Lewis Friend. Everything else he says will actually turn out to be accurate. Yeah, friggin' uh, Clarice just could not wait to decode that one. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. But that's the thing. And we've brought it up and we've talked about it and we talked about it we talked about it, about her looks, about the fact that she's a woman, about the fact that Lecter might be sexually attracted to her. Had she not been this person, would he have even entertained talking to her further after being tricked with this fake offer? I know you would think that he, that would she shut gets him down this completely. second chance that I don't think a guy would get. <laughs> uh, I'd say probably not. Clarice seemingly left out 
in the cold at the moment is able to deduce that Lewis Friend is an anagram of iron sulfide, commonly known as fool's gold. She visits Lecter, who's now imprisoned in a cell in a Tennessee courthouse, and demands the true identity. This was filmed at Soldiers and Sailors That's right, at not, the college that I went to. Yeah, not too far from here. Although I've never been in Soldiers and Sailors, so I couldn't really tell you if the interior is is like this or what. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> They've kept you in a cell like uh, that. Yeah, I also have not been inside it, but Lindsay has. This cell doesn't really make sense, though, does it? <laughs> I don't really know what it is or if it's specially made for him or if this is where they keep people who are waiting to go into trial. But yeah, it's this cell in the center of this massive room. It has almost this dramatic gothic vibe yeah, to yeah. it. It's so strange. But it makes it cool, though. That's the thing. They took maybe a big chance here on something that could have come across as silly, and yet yeah, it just true. works for some reason. You're I, like, yep, this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> this insanely huge room with the cell just in the middle of it. I get the fact that they can't store him necessarily at a prison or anything well, in the area. Well, he certainly can't be in Gen Pop, be biting people's faces off. Well, no, no, no. He, he wouldn't be in Gen Pop no matter what. They would put him in a special cell. But like sometimes you can't arrange that stuff on the fly. There might not be sure. an available place. So this is just the most convenient one before they transport him back to Baltimore or whatever. But the look of it is strange. How very thoughtful. Or did Jack Crawford send you for one last wheedle before you're both booted off the case? No, I came because I wanted to. People will say we're in love. Anthrax Island. That was an especially nice touch, Clarice. Yours? That was good. Pity about poor Catherine, though. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. Your anagrams are showing, Doctor. Lewis Friend. Iron sulfide, also known as, as fool's gold. Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You were telling me the truth back in Baltimore, sir. Please continue now. Well, I've read the case files, have you? Everything you need to find him is right there in those pages. And tell me how. First principles, Clarice. Simplicity. Read Marcus Aurelius of each particular thing. Ask, what is it in itself? What is its nature? What does he do, this man you seek? He kills women. No, that is incidental. What is the first and principal thing he does? What needs does he serve by killing? Anger. Um, social acceptance and uh, sexual frustrations. No, he covets. That is his nature. And how do we begin to covet, Clarice? Do we seek out things to covet? Make an effort to answer now. No. We just... Now, we begin by coveting what we see every day. Don't you feel eyes moving over your body, Clarice? And don't your eyes seek out the things you want? He says that everything Clarice needs is already in the Buffalo Bill case file. They discuss the true nature, the reason, and it comes down to Buffalo Bill coveting. And what do we covet? Something we see every day. 
quid pro quo. Oh, yeah. Screaming lambs. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This story is actually fucked up because I was thinking about it and just how, like, desensitized people who live on farms like this must be, but... Oh, I know. It I've is. never actually heard lambs screaming, but I would imagine based on her description, it's terrible. I'm going to say it's not pleasant. <laughs> so she goes to live on this farm after her father dies and she doesn't have any parents. It's cousins or something out in Montana. They raise sheep there. One night she wakes up, this terrible screaming sound. It sounds like children screaming. She finds that it's the lambs being slaughtered, which implies that they know they're being killed which Ugh. some animals sometimes do know. And then she tries to free them, but they're too scared and stupid to really uh, know. So she me. takes one, and she runs away with it. I do like that the rancher, who was supposedly this decent man, just kicks her off to live in an orphanage because of this one incident. I know. It'd be like, well, well, dude, why don't you warn her that these things... <laughs> yeah, by the way, we like savagely murder you know, the animals <laughs> <Savagely> here. <laughs> All those lamb chops you like to eat, Matt. Yeah. I do like the lector then orders for dinner lamb chops. <laughs> Is that supposed to be like a laugh part? It kind of feels like that. A wink, maybe? Not in front of Clarice, no, but no. still. Yeah, that would be in poor taste. Lecter speculates that Starling hopes saving Catherine will end the recurring nightmare she has of those lambs screaming. Lecter does not reveal Buffalo Bill's name. Instead, Chilton arrives and has the police escort her from the building but not before Lecter hands What's the that case about, file though? back to her. What does Chilton have over her? That, if she's an FBI Well, agent, it wouldn't be her be decision, here? but she isn't authorized to see the prisoner. She sort of lied. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It's, it's just the like, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Don't they have fucking jurisdiction here? She's not a real FBI agent, though. Well, that's true. <laughs> well, she had a badge that was good for a week. <laughs> Later that evening, Lecter kills his guards and executes an elaborate escape from his cell. <laughs> Okay, just put that out there. Just a completely yeah. insane sequence. I, if this movie wasn't based off of a book and it was just a completely original concept, you would never feel like this is the point in the movie where something this big happens with a character that's like not the main character. Or is he the main character? Well, maybe he is. <laughs> I don't know, but you know what I mean? It, the way that it fits into the overall movie. Well, it's one of those things where... It, I hate to keep using this as the comparison or the reference, but it's sort of like the shark from Jaws, except we did see him, but we didn't see... What he's capable of? Yeah, him. Yeah. We've only been teased about it. Like, this guy is so dangerous. In Hannibal fact, Unchained? Chilton shows a video, or no, I guess it was a picture. I keep thinking that he showed Clarice like a video on a phone or something, but I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. He we're like watching it, and he's got an iPhone. We're like, How yeah. that, what is this? Time travel! <laughs> No, he just showed her a picture, but there's just been this buildup of what Lecter's capable of, and now we finally see it in action. When the guards bring him a second dinner, the lamb chops, he has kept a piece of Chilton's pen. By the way, there's no way Starling doesn't get blamed for this. They were (laughs) passing things back and forth to each other. In the immediate aftermath of this massacre, I feel like it would all be on her. Yeah. Her her career as a special agent, short-lived. He picks the lock and the handcuffs when he's locked to the cell. He attacks the guards, biting brutality. Oh, yeah. This is the big payoff of everything we've wanted to know about what Lecter's capable of. Kind of a longer action sequence, too. Why are there only two guards in this room? And why are all of the other guards 
collected like on floors below. Yeah, it, it does, does feel. Why like... are there so many cards on the first floor? There's some elevator misdirection when the other guards finally get up to the floor because of the suspicious elevator movement. One of the guards that was with Lecter has been suspended from the cell with his guts ripped out. This feels very elaborate. Like, yeah, it seems very hard to do. Why? Why did he spend this amount? Because it looks cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he already has to do something very elaborate that he has to do for his plan to work. This part feels unnecessary. Almost, I guess, to distract yeah, people. That's true. Because it works. Even when you watch it, and it's weird because they didn't have to make it be Hopkins to do this, but when you watch it, it looks like Lecter is laying on the ground. It does. The whole time. Yeah, yeah. And I never really think it looks like the other guy, but whatever. The guy hanging from the cell looks like a macabre angel or something with those, like, I don't know what you call those, but those, like, flag drape things yeah, yeah. behind him. The other guard is still alive, lying motionless on the ground with a fucked up face. Lecter is gone. We briefly see Chris Isaac, who is... That's Who gets right. his name at the beginning of the movie. He's in one scene Chester and has like one line. Yeah. yeah. This would have been the same time period a year before Fire Walk With Me. They realize that Lecter must be on top of the elevator when blood starts trickling through the, the roof of it. They shoot down there and they, they discover that it's not Lecter at the same time that yeah. the other guard who was still alive that they've taken by ambulance away. Fire a warning shot into the leg. leg. The guy yeah. doesn't move, yeah. The guy in the ambulance pulls his face off and realizes that it is Hannibal Lecter wearing the face of the other guard. You do kind of feel for this poor ambulance worker. Well, <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, at this point, to, like, this is his guy. escape. Yeah. Yeah, because those other guards treated him good. Oh, I know. That's but he true. has to kill. I mean, there's yeah. no other way out at that's this point. Right. He yep. has to commit to it. And so he's gone. He's in the wind. They find the ambulance parked somewhere else and... This is the day before the internet, cell phones. No one knew what was happening. We're probably underselling it a little bit, but this is such an awesome sequence. There are several parts in this movie that you can only fantasize about what it would have been like to be in the theater back in 91. Oh, yeah, right. And yeah, when this guy sits up, even when you know it's coming and you can kind of sense that it's coming, the pulling of the face off. Oh, I know. Where you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like Mission Impossible. But I would say, like, the end of this movie is exciting and spooky and weird and crazy, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it quite lives up to the Hannibal Lecter sequence. Like, I, oh, I don't think, wow. the, I, yeah, I like this. I think this is, like, for me, the high point of entertainment of the movie. Okay. I think there's probably multiple peaks. Sure. Which is what makes this movie so great. I'm not saying that I get past this point and I'm like, my All right, personal I'm shutting peak it off. <laughs> is the goodbye horses scene. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> that is the height of cinema for me. Right. They did a pretty good parody of the face stuff in the office with that dummy. I know we brought, for some reason we brought up the office like again. Well, you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey. I am this podcast. That's true. Clarice analyzes the case file again with Ardelia and finds a note from Lecter. <laughs> These two just having like a slumber party putting it together. The note says that doesn't it seem like the locations of these bodies seem desperately random, meaning maybe not random at all. She deduces that Buffalo Bill and his first victim, Frederica, knew each other. 
And once she figures this out, it feels like one of those things that someone would have had to have figured out. But it also is believable enough that someone just didn't connect all these things together yeah. because of the It's almost like it Bill intentionally like... weighted down the first one. Right. Because that was the one that could be traced back to him. And the desperately random is to cover up for the first person he killed. It does sort of feel like there was a lead here that wasn't chased down, though, too. Yes. Okay. Well, we aren't there yet. Right. What, are you mean like in Belvedere? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it does seem like unless there is like a big unless though. Okay. Which is unless he only recently started using the house. Sure. But with that basement, <laughs> why would he not be using? It oh, all I know. The time? Yeah. But we don't really know. I I don't know the, the, the Taj Mahal of basements. The movie keeps it vague enough where you're not really sure of the timeline. I guess maybe they do say it. I don't know, but. How long has it been since the first victim? I'm not sure. I don't know, but yeah. Unclear. You're right. There is definitely, it seems like, in the initial investigation. These local cops that would just be investigating that. Well, since she wasn't the until the third victim, I mean, I think the FBI's been there before. Okay, yeah. But yeah, it does seem like someone dropped the ball. Yeah. They didn't talk to that girl with the really short bangs. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Who works at a bank. Yeah. Frederica was someone that Bill would have seen every day and thus coveted. She was from Belvedere, Ohio. Clarice goes there, inspects her bedroom, finds those Polaroids in a music box of Frederica in her underwear. Do you think those were for Bill? Is that the impression you're supposed to get? I'm not sure. Was there a romantic entanglement here? Some sort of a... I don't know. I mean... A fake entanglement, maybe, where you know Bill had probably different sexual interests than frederica but was he sort of like i don't know what the point of those are why have that moment of i'm not sure what the implication is here i think that they were for her because they were not nude and they were a lot of her back i feel like (laughs) potentially bill was the one taking the picture and directing her it seems plausible yes but i mean how many people are in this town Clarice finds out that Frederica was a tailor, and she notices unfinished dresses with patterns identical to the patches of skin removed from the backs of the victims. Yeah, I've seen those four-sided shapes before. And it all clicks. She suddenly knows Buffalo Bill's motive. He's making a woman's suit out of real women. And this is what she calls and tells Crawford. She's like, I gotta call Jack Crawford. He's already en route. To make the arrest, having cross-referenced... I know, what a fucking buzzkill Crawford is, huh? Because she's <laughs> like, I got, I'm got, i putting it all together. He's like, Clarice, we already know who it is. Well, he keeps trying to like stop her from getting too excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she just keeps plowing on. <laughs> having cross-referenced Lecter's notes with hospital archives, the failed sex change thing, he's identified Buffalo Bill as Jame Gum, although he pronounces what it What a terrible Jamie. name. <laughs> In the book, it's explained, but... Yeah, it actually makes it funnier, I think, to just not even explain this yeah. at all. Just Jame Gum. <laughs> like, Jame? <laughs> I think it's basically his mother was so poor and the hospital didn't really care. It was sort of like a bullshit thing. And someone was just too lazy to correct a typo okay. on the thing. So his official birth certificate says Jame. I guess it's supposed to be James. Maybe Jamie, but probably James. Jame Gum. You know something's up with a name like that. <laughs> Gum was also busted for smuggling death's head moths into the U.S. Huh. 
<laughs> well, that is an incriminating piece of evidence. His address is in a suburb outside Chicago called Calumet City. I'm telling that's you, where they're but the, this looks like it was filmed in like the North Hills oh, of yeah, Pittsburgh. For sure. Clarice stays on in Belvedere. We cut one more time to the basement. This is the whole goodbye horses scene. Catherine comes up with a crazy plan to snatch Precious, which is a pretty Bill's good dog. Yeah. It's a solid little scheme. It gives her a little bit of leverage because Bill it's, it's loves a, this dog. It's definitely a weakness. Yeah. But we should probably focus more on Bill himself here, where he's sewing away. He makes some sort of an advancement with the headpiece and the hair, and he puts this on, listening to Goodbye Horses. And he starts saying, I'd fuck me as he's putting on makeup. Yeah. I'd fuck me hard. Feels like a lot of Friday nights. <laughs> Does that cock tuck, uh, yeah. which is also one of the most memorable moments from the movie. Sure. I just could never have imagined something like that before seeing it. And then once you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> but before seeing it, I was like, what is happening right, right, right. now? <laughs> but yeah, again, another detail in addition to the pictures of him with the strippers, they have that quilt on a bed that just has those big swastikas on it. Yeah. I love that thrown into the mix. You well, just have he, all kinds of stuff going on in this basement. He's having an identity crisis, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. I definitely think that's a huge part. He just doesn't really know who he is. Clarice continues interviewing in Belvedere, talking to Frederica's friend, who leads her to speak with Mrs. Lippman a woman Federico worked for doing alterations, which is something that I don't really think exists as much today. I think people mostly just throw their old clothes away. But I think there was a time in America or in the world where you would buy clothes and then you would sort of just alter them to fit forever. I mean, yeah, you yeah. can get alterations on new clothes to make them fit better. But I think the idea like they were making dresses and then... This was the pre-fast fashion era. Yeah. I'm not sure what that means, but yeah. <laughs> I agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Crawford and an FBI hostage rescue team storm Gum's address in Illinois. This is so great. The cutting back and forth between the two houses and everything. Oh, I know. It is. They have the fake out in Chicago. Seeing this in a theater in 91, this whole like building of this moment here with... Clarice going to Mrs. Lipman's house and the FBI converging on this house in Illinois. But they do it with like a, kind of a long enough shot away without seeing Clarice that you are falling for the Chicago thing. Yeah, well, the way they do it is they're cutting to Bill in the basement with the moths and everything. Yep. And as because he's freaking out now because well, the dog is she's in the got well. the upper hand. Yeah, the dog's in the well, he's flipping out, and then all of a sudden the doorbell's ringing, but the rescue team in Illinois finds their house empty, and at that same moment, Starling knocks on the door of Mrs. Lippman and meets a, quote, Jack Gordon, who the audience knows to be Buffalo Bill. That's right. And it's, what a moment. Oh, the audience is. is like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of there. Because she's by herself, and Levine is a tall actor. Kind of. Yeah. But Jodie Foster is very diminutive, you know, 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, something like that. Looks very small. She's by herself, no backup, and she doesn't even know right. what she's in for yet. Your name is? 
Oh, uh, Jack Gordon. Mr. Gordon. Good. Um, well, Frederica used to work for Mrs. Lipman. Did you know her? No, uh-uh. Oh, wait. Was she a great big fat person? Yeah, she was a big girl, sir. Yeah, I, I miss. No, I, I read about her in the newspaper. Um, Mrs. Lipman had a son, though. Maybe he could help you. I got, I got his card in here someplace. Do so, you want to come in while I look for it? May I? Yes, sure. Close to catching somebody, you think? Yes, we may be. Did you take over this place after Mrs. Lippman died? Is that right? Yeah, I, I bought this house uh, two years ago. Did she leave any records, any business records, tax forms, uh, lists of employees? Well, nothing like that at all. Say, has the FBI learned something? The police around here don't seem to have the first clue. I mean, have you got like a description, fingerprints, anything like that? Good, Mr. I can't say enough. Oh, I know. It's good. <laughs> it's weird that Ted Levine really never had like that big of a career. I would have thought he could have been like a Christian Bale type. Just like losing and gaining weight for every role. Yeah, disappearing into these characters, the sure. way he takes his character on. It seems like a creation. Like It seems unbelievable. And he's had like a consistent career. I mean, he still acts and stuff, but yeah, nothing that like stands out like this. He just sort of plays regular people for the most part, I think. Well, he is great in this. This Jack Gordon guy suggests he may have a reference for Starling, but while they're speaking, she spots a death's head moth flying around. <laughs> First of all, what is this? Our old apartment I on know, Sarah really. Street, like, the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where fucking Mothra would be climbing in through the window? <laughs> Like, imagine like seeing this moth in someone's house, even if it was unrelated to a murder. That's horrifying. Start slowly stepping back towards the door. Nothing skeeves me out more than moths. Big moths. They're gross. Yeah. I don't really care about those little white ones that are paper thin, but, like, the moths with bodies, 
that are like thick and it's disgusting. <laughs> thick. And they look hairy almost. Oh, yeah. I've seen some big moths in my day. So gross. Sure. Just like the size of birds almost. It is unsettling. <laughs> Second, what a moment again where just that slow realization where she like looks up and she doesn't know what to do exactly. Yeah. And you sort of know she's in over her head a little bit. There's no backup coming. And she doesn't really quite know what to do. And let's be honest, she does kind of botch it by yeah, letting him run out of the, the room. Gun. Clarice is now face-to-face with fucking Buffalo Bill. She pulls her gun, but he ducks into another room, grabs a gun of his own, and then disappears down into the cellar. Clarice follows him down, all on her own, no backup coming, into this cavernous oh, yeah. basement. Endless rooms and sections and doorways that lead to other parts I, of basements it's not unlike the descent down to the baltimore prison it's like somehow this basement is as big as that no it's way bigger <laughs> this is insane i don't mean just that is. room though i mean <laughs> i mean this is like i i, I no, can't I know. it's there, like a football field down there it's so it's i know insane like, so many doors yeah it almost like there's no logic to it either it's just doors that lead into other sections. I've never and other known doors. of a basement to have so many. Like, why doors would there and need to be so many doors? <laughs> Even if there were this many rooms, which I can't believe, you would put a, maybe a door on that bathroom, the one that Mrs. Lippman seems to be melting in. Oh yeah, <laughs> but all the other. Why would you need doors to all these places? I, I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> Mrs. Lippman seems to be melting. That's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. She looks like she's turned into a tub full of poop. Ugh. Just gross. <laughs> Clarice finds Catherine, and this is a legit LOL for oh, I know. a number of reasons. Yeah. First of all, you're going to get that audience laugh of, Catherine, it's the FBI. You're safe. And even the way that Clarice says it, you know that she's not really sure She's lost control of Buffalo Bill. She doesn't know where he is. He clearly has a gun or something. Right. But like her trying to sound like... Reassuring. Yeah. And then, of course, Catherine (laughs) just swearing at her. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you, you fucking bitch. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's fucking crazy. (laughs) Clarice proceeds through a labyrinth of rooms and hallways until Bill cuts the power. He has the upper hand at this point. This is like one of the most memorable things in all of movies to me because, again, and I know like things change. Obviously, two years later was Jurassic Park, and you have the kids messing around with the night vision. Sure, I think probably when I saw this, I wasn't super familiar. I hadn't it hadn't been done to death, right? I don't feel like maybe people who were alive back then had seen it plenty of times before, but I don't don't think so. I just think it's like a really cool thing because. Okay, you know that good is probably prevailing in a movie, but it just seems like she keeps getting deeper into this situation, and he has all of the upper hand. Absolutely. And you're like, how is she going to get out of this? This is insane. And the cool thing about going to the POV for the night vision is like, and I even noticed this the most on this most recent viewing, is just like, how many shots throughout the movie, like when characters are talking to each other, it's like almost all back and forth POV shots. Yeah, they tried to do it in a way where I wasn't really sure if I completely understood, but it seems like when characters talk to her, they look directly into the camera, and when 
she talks to the camera, she's always like looking slightly away from the camera, okay. even though it is yeah. like right on her face. I don't really know if I fully understand why that would give you her POV more because it's like, well, then why switch to like these other POVs at all? But yeah. having her dance around in the dark here, flailing around, the terrified look on her face, her pointing the gun, Bill just like biding his time. It's so creepy and weird because I'm not really sure how they've pulled this off, but it seems like she is in the dark. Maybe it's just great acting, but it seems like she's really like unable to see oh, yeah, anything. And she's just like stumbling around. And she has that weird look of unfocused. Like she can't, she's not disoriented. Focusing on anything. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's such a cool visual. He feels like he has the upper hand for like so long. Yeah. Like he has so many moments to because like he's make his enjoying move. this. Yeah, now. yeah. Right. Even though he should know that once he crosses, well, it's too late because yeah. she knows it's him. But once he kills her, it's inevitable that he's fucked at that point. Oh, There's yeah. because the world is closing in on him. So it's almost as if like subconsciously he's enjoying this because it, He's, yeah, he's coming to the end, even if he gets out of this moment. Yeah, yeah. Because once she goes missing, they're going to know where she was. Right. This whole part does go on longer than you would think. And you have to be imagining that Clarice is thinking, man, I really fucked this up. I know. I'm going to die down here in this enormous basement. <laughs> they're never going to find me because this Maybe basement I'll is so find big. my way back to the stairs at some point. <laughs> but yeah, the fear is so palpable. Yeah. Because she has fucked this up. Not you know, not really through any fault of her own necessarily, but she had him at gunpoint and then she probably should not have followed him in the basement, even though Catherine's life was at stake, because that's why you wait for backup in these situations, because you end up in a situation like this. Right. <laughs> Bill comes so close to reaching out and touching her, but as he moves to actually shoot Clarice, he reveals himself by cocking his revolver. She quickly reacts and shoots Bill dead. Kind of a stroke of luck here that she also shoots the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. All in one motion, <laughs> the window is shot. It almost seems like, I forget, what do they call that? Like a half submerged basement yeah. where like there's a window that's like, but it doesn't seem like that kind of basement. No, no. It doesn't. It feels like they're deep in the and earth. Whenever that window is shot, it's like there's fucking floorboards in that room. Yeah, I, it, the I mean, room that like, they're in doesn't seem like it's in a basement anymore. Well, there's so many chambers in that basement that one window doesn't seem like it'd be able to illuminate. <laughs> well, it's just that room that they're yeah, in. Yeah, well, that's true. But I, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird house. It is. <laughs> you sort of just have to go with it, yeah. even though the basement is a soundstage, in case people didn't know. Sure. I feel like there is no basement on planet Earth that looks like this. This does not exist. I guess Catherine is just going to keep Precious now. Now that Bill's dead. I kind of like that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's it. Except one last little button at the end. We get the FBI Academy graduation party. And Starling somehow receives a phone call during this. I don't really know how he wouldn't have this number to this (laughs) I know. This seems insane. (laughs) It's our old pal Hannibal. He's actually calling from the Bahamas, although he doesn't say that. Kind of reassuring her, don't worry, I'm not going to come kill you. Yeah, he wishes her well, but says he must go because he's, quote, having an old friend for dinner. And we see Dr. Chilton getting off a plane. I never put this together, and I'm sort of embarrassed to say this, until this most recent viewing. I don't think it's 
that crucial, but still, he's actually in hiding from Lecter. I never really got that. Oh, I didn't but he's either, ta- no. He's talking to that guy about I... security. Okay, yeah. And he's I... like, oh, this place has a security, blah, blah, blah. He knows that Lecter's out, and he's scared. And right, that's right. why he's in the Bahamas. In the fr- he's not like on a vacation randomly. Yeah, I, it's a... Seems super obvious now. I never took. The Although time to think Hal Lecter beat him there, <laughs> and is waiting for him as he arrives on a plane, I'll never know. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that happened, but okay. Yeah, then the movie ends with him trailing Chilton, unbeknownst to Chilton, implying that he's going to kill him. I think the thing that we need to talk about though is that Clarice and Ardelia have dates. I guess at That's this right. after party, yeah. where they're having cake, and it's the two bug guys. Cross-eyed and the bulldog from Frasier. See, so it does work out if you just go for it. I guess. It kind of sends the wrong message, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Although, I don't know. I mean, are they just there? It does seem like because they take a picture or something. Like, I don't know. Is it a date? I don't know. It's a fake date. Yeah. So, that was our first revisited episode. I'm happy we did it. I feel like we probably did a million times better than the first time we did this movie. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with The Silence of the Lambs, and I don't know that we really did it justice in 45 minutes where we probably mostly talked about the basement, and there was a lot of silence. 45 minutes, yeah, long. 20 minutes of silence, 20 minutes of the basement, five (laughs) minutes on (laughs) Jodie Foster. Yeah. Isn't it funny that he says, big fat person? (laughs) That was probably like a lot of it. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was the opening clip we used. Well, yeah. I mean, it is such a classic line. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. It's a movie that I can seemingly watch endless times and not be bored with it totally. at all. Absolutely. This is going to be a five-star on Letterboxd for me That's when I add it in there. Yep. <laughs> I, w- I would hope if it's one of the 85 movies in your top 10. <laughs> it's making that cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, The Silence of the Lambs, if you haven't seen it, Please go watch it. It's weird that we just did Boys in the Hood, two 1991 movies in wow. a row. Yeah. What a year. This was a marathon, too. Yeah, it was actually shorter than I thought. We're only a little over two hours right now. Okay. And that's before editing, so who knows where we're going to be. All right. Fair. Not too bad. Yeah. So I don't know how we talked for three hours about American Beauty. It does seem like one of the more shocking things that's ever happened. <laughs> in society. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. This was still a long episode, though. Yeah, on the longer side. On the longer side. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's do recommendations. Do you have one? I don't, and if I did, we all know at this point that I wouldn't give the name of what it is anyway. So yeah, we should. So do you want to say what you were recommending? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you did put it in the notes. Week. Yeah, two, two corrections. One, I was trying to reference the uh, indie director Joe Swanberg, and I called him Joe Swanson. Uh, so, and I did think about that one. I haven't listened to the episode. But I did think about that one like later that night after you left. I was like, did I <laughs> say unable Swanson? to sleep? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like laying awake, staring at the ceiling. The movie though was called Black Bear. Yeah, Matt likes to give a little preamble about the movie before so, working up to the title, and then and I find myself like losing you, and I'm like, okay, I gotta wrap it up. Yeah. Well, no, I think I did kind of make like a sarcastic sound at 
you saying <laughs> Joe Swanson, although I knew who you meant. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then it just got derailed from there. Sure. But that but, was my movie last week. Yeah, the name was in the description of the episode. I'm sure people don't care and probably turn off the episodes before we even get to recommendations. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't have one for this week. All right, so mine will be another entry from my letterboxed Zach1983, just plowing through a lot of movies. This is a 2020 release, and if you saw a trailer for it before it came out at the beginning of last year, you probably were like, this movie looks like shit. (laughs) And that's probably what I thought as well, like your typical PG-13 terrible horror movie dumped in January. Sounding good so far. But I'm going to tell you what, it blew my mind. I was like, this movie looks incredible. I enjoyed it. The visuals were top-notch, and I'm talking about a little picture called Gretel and Hansel. Shit. Yes, that's right. It's actually the same director, Oz Perkins, who directed The Black Coat's Daughter, and I forget the other thing. It was like a Netflix thing, like I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, this movie is sort of reminiscent of your Nicholas Winding Refn pictures or maybe Lost River or something like that. The score is incredible, and the look of it is insane. Every frame of this thing, you could just take a shot of it and hang it on your wall. It's so artistic. It looks incredible. So much cool shapes and colors and stuff. This is like way more of a glowing review than I ever would have expected for this movie. I know. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. You would think that this is just some like garbage that they dump out. and it, They sort of treated it that way, but the story is solid enough. They don't deviate a lot from the Hansel and Gretel story that you're familiar with. It's not anything like revolutionary in that sense. It's not like a wild reimagination? No, not really. But... It looks really cool. It's under an hour and a half. It's very short. Perfect. It stars Sophia Lillis from It and various other things, sharp objects, whatever else. I don't know who the other people are in it. It's not really important. It's not a a brilliant thing where you're going to be like, oh my God. I mean, the story is sort of lacking and the ending feels sort of oddly out of nowhere, sort of rushed. But yeah, the vibe of it's cool. The look of it's cool. And I was really taken aback because I expected almost nothing from it. All right, it. wow. And it is available on Hulu and Amazon yeah, Prime right now. I've seen now. it up there. All right, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i give it a go. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, folks, we are out way of out of time. Yeah. <laughs> we are probably approaching the moment where our recording thing is going to stop because it's too long. Because it killed itself. <laughs> like, enough already. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I don't think we've had any ratings and reviews Oh, that's lately. true. We, we, were, we had such a nice run, and now it's kind of gone quiet again. So if you haven't done that yet, please give us some love on there. We love reading people's reviews. That stretch of getting all those new reviews over like a couple months was probably a bigger highlight for me than Eli Roth listening to the that's show. That's true. It really made life People said feel the worth nicest living. things on there. It I was know. unbelievable. Really unexpected. Request a sticker. I'll send you a personalized note. Yeah, please. Matt bought all these stickers and now no one wants them. I'm going to be giving them away for the rest of my life. I'm okay with it. <laughs> no, we've definitely given some out. We'd like to give some more stickers out. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know if you have a listener request. We'll try to get to it at some point. Follow us on Letterboxd. 
1983 and Matt Crosby. That is the, probably the most important thing right now. Right now. Right now it is, yes. I actually have a movie in the chamber besides Silence of the Lambs that I watched today that I need to add on there. So I need to get to that as soon as we stop recording. That's a tease for only me, I think. No, it's not even for you. I mean, you wouldn't <laughs> even care about this movie. All right, Yeah, I know, folks. but by the time this episode posts, what you have in the chamber will already be on Letterboxd. Yes. Okay. That's why it's just a tease. It's for not me. a tease for anyone. <laughs> because I it doesn't feel like anyone cares about the movies that I put on there. Which is the the secret about Letterbox is that no one really cares. Even the people that have ten thousand followers and get tons of likes, it's like come on, no one cares. Well that's the secret about everything. No one cares. Yeah, unless you're already famous. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's ever been an app that I simultaneously love this much, but also enrages me constantly. <laughs> Because all the other ones I just hate, but I actually love Letterboxd, but then it also makes me furious. Okay. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed our first revisited. There'll be three more this year. And we will talk to you next week with a regular episode.
you know, I have to admit that I appreciate your directness, Daryl, and I will try and be as direct and honest with you as I possibly can be. Uh, I think, no, I, I am positive that you are the most unattractive man I have ever met in my entire life. You know, in the short time we've been together, you have demonstrated every loathsome characteristic of the male personality and even discovered a few new ones. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, you're morally reprehensible, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. You know, you're not even interesting enough to make me sick. <laughs>